Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, it's kind of foggy today here on the Gulf Coast of Florida. So uh, that's where Milton is. Uh, anyway, so on the, on the Emerald Coast, I guess we should call it because the water's green, <laughs> which is really amazing. Why do they call it the Emerald Coast? Well, you get it here and you see oh, the water's green. Uh, that makes sense now. So it's beautiful here. I mean, it really is uh, totally different than my, my California environment of, uh, of six years ago. Um, but uh, it's a lot colder than I expected. And California, actually, where I was, was colder, too. The Bay Area is, is warm because it gets a blanket of fog in the winter, which keeps it warm, and a blanket of fog, the same blanket of fog in the summer, you know, or a different one that, well, low stratus, whatever. I, I could get technical. Uh, but it, actually, the, the overcast year-round keeps it cool in the summer and warm in the winter. So like a blanket in the winter and like a shield in the summer. Uh, and, of course, the water takes a lot longer to heat up and cool down. So the, the water doesn't heat up for quite a while in the summer until September when the fog clears out and it's too, too warm to support the fog and it gets really hot. And then winter comes in and it gets cold again, <laughs> you know, in the springtime, it starts getting really hot. And, uh, uh, but the water, you know, brings in the fog <laughs> or something like that happens. Anyway, I'm trying to avoid sneezing here. I think I've got a little bit of a cold, but, uh, not too much. Yeah. I better, I better mute myself here and, and sneeze and I'll be right back. Uh, well, let's see. Going once, going twice. Nope. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, try waiting for a sneeze when you're on the air. I guess nobody talks about that, but it happens. In fact, it just did. All right, so lots of things going on. Today's show, I've got to the first hour, I'm going to talk about early COVID articles. And so for, you know, if you're ever wondering why I was convinced of what I was, it wasn't just me going, you know, being clairvoyant, saying, yep, this is a bunch of nonsense, a bunch of horse feathers. No, it wasn't. I, I, you know, I had a lot of backing. I had sources. I try to get sources for everything I do. You know, it's like a second opinion for medical. So no matter what, you know, the, the situation, I always look for confirmation. doesn't mean I'm not going to make a claim anyway. Um, you know, like I said, that uh, Trump was not going to be arrested. Guess what? Trump's not being arrested. <laughs> that looks more and more like he's not going to be because the evidence is crumbling. You know, I, as soon as I found out their star witness was Michael Cohen, who is, uh, you know, this, this just really arrogant, stupid lawyer who's been disbarred. He lies. He's a professional liar. You know, he's, he's been, um, you know, I don't know if he's spent, he probably spent time in jail, but that's their source. <laughs> You know, that's, that's like going to Al Capone for tax advice. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so he's, you know, not even credible. And apparently there's some 600 pages of, uh, of exculpatory, in other words, get out of jail uh, evidence uh, that, uh, that prosecutors love to withhold so that, you know, makes their case better when they deny the defense the, uh, uh, the means to defend their client. Of course, that's illegal. <laughs> You know, the whole point of a fair trial is discovery and discovery. You, you discover things like, you know, all the evidence, you know, they, they, if they only give you the, the part that makes the, their client look bad, that's not discovery. That's called manipulation. That's called uh, uh, suppression of, uh, of uh, exculpatory evidence. That's called, uh, you know, prosecutorial misconduct. Anyway, so all those things are happening right now. Um, I was just listening to Dan Ball this morning on One American News from his, his replay of his show last night. And he came up with a bold prediction, too, that this guy's going to get thrown out of the bus um, because the, uh, I guess the district attorney is a black guy. And when you know what the Democrats think, <laughs> Dan Ball says, well, you know what the Democrats think of black people? Yeah, we do. Segregation, slavery, the KKK, you know, lynchings, uh, you know, with segregation today, um, you know, absolute racism of, of the, the big Democrat cities. Um, many of which are run by black people too, which is really kind of interesting. Anyway, so that, that's a whole other issue. We've talked about that, but let's, let's get on to 
um, the, the arrest of, of the arrest of Trump that didn't happen, of course. Um, and so that's that's interesting. I mean, to me, that's interesting that uh, these people are still trying. Uh, there was a Congress uh, member. Uh, representative on again one american news who either i think it was over the weekend uh said something really profound that you know why why do they think that trump you know uh they said they know that trump didn't win the election that's the democrats that way trump didn't win the election it's all it's all a, it's all a fraud it's all a hoax you know biden won the election well if biden won the election why are they worried about trump running in 2024 obviously if they beat him once fairly they can certainly do it again because why would somebody, you know, these people that run two and three times for president, they don't make it. <laughs> they did that. Look at William Jennings Bryan ran like three or four times. Joe Biden ran for president, what, four times, three times? I don't know. I've forgotten how many. You know, he never did well in the polls. So, of course, he could never win in a fair election. We know that. That's the easy part. But, the, but if the Democrats are trying to convince you that he did win in the fair election, that it was the safest election of all time, then they have nothing to worry about in 2024 from, from Trump. And yet their, their, uh, their actions be, you know, betray their, their, true, uh, their true feelings. It's like in Star Wars. <sighs> oh, the truth is out. Sister! Hmm. Anyway, so a little Darth Vader action there. Um, but, but that's the point. They, they, you know, your feelings give yourself away, Luke. Anyway, that's probably a, lots of work on my Darth Vader. You try doing James Old Jones' voice at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's not easy. It's not easy at any time of the day. Anyway, point being, that, uh, you know, if the Democrats really believe that Joe Biden, you know, totally trounced Trump, then they obviously, they obviously have nothing to fear from Trump running again. They're just going to beat him again, right? Well, that's not the case. <laughs> They're doing everything possible to stop him before he runs because they know he won the 2020 election. I mean, they've just convicted themselves. It's like, it's like a confession, you know, and so it's kind of fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't put that together, but I guess I can't get all of the, all the great revelations. I do my fair share, but anyway, but that makes perfect sense. Think about it. And I forgot which character. It might have been Bob Massey, but it's it's somebody you know, Freedom Caucus, somebody who who knows you know really cool stuff. And I said, look, if, if uh, Biden won, then uh, what are you guys worried about? You know, you, you just beat him again, <laughs> just beat Trump again. Well, of course, of course they can't. And that's why that's this is why this gets so interesting. Uh, it's going to be even more interesting with Waco on Saturday. Now nobody's really recapping Waco. I'm going to do it again probably Monday. I don't want to do it every day. It's really depressing. It's a depressing subject to think of your government as as a uh, you know with a with a huge amount of murders on its hands, and the fact that the perpetrators, particularly Bill Clinton, are still walking around free. That's really hard to think about. That your own government would gas burn and bulldoze you know your own citizens, fellow citizens, into the ground, uh, but they did. And so that needs to be talked about because I've got a bunch of articles on that. I thought today, seeing as it's kind of our, our wellness Thursday, Thursdays have a tradition, uh, as do Wednesdays too, but Thursdays in particular, when we used to have the world's greatest doctors panel, it's Dr. Mikovits, Artis, Thorpe, Marble, uh, local folks, Deb Viglione, um, not so local, Christiane Northrup, uh, different people from different uh, places, Brandon House who's a partner with Mike Lindell in Lindell TV, uh, just some really fascinating people. Gregory Wrightstone comparing uh, climate change lies to COVID lies, same lies, same type of lie uh, and the persecution that goes with it. And I just think it's going to be interesting to, to do a series on those articles because the truth was always out there. What do you think I got it from? You know, like I say, I, you know, I have a couple of good revelations and then I, you know, get sources. Um, but it always seemed my logic and reason filter. It always seemed to me that the idea of doing vaccines for a disease that's already here, um, when they take 15 years just to get them right, never made sense to me. I said, why, why, why are you pursuing this? You know, and, and in fact, the more Dr. Fascist 
Uh, for those that don't know, that's Anthony Fauci. Uh, I call him Dr. Fascist, the genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. Yeah, you want to call, you know, you want to call me up, Dr. Fascist? 215-383-3832. Happy to debate you anytime. Yeah, masks. You know, I told the American public, they got to wear masks. They got to get a, a vaccine and a booster every five minutes because, you know, your immunity, it, it wanes. If you want to be safe and protected, you know, the, the highest level of protection, then this, this is what you got to do. Yeah, okay, Dr. Fascist. Wouldn't it be great if he called? <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny? Uh, maybe I should get the FBI KGB who's listening in to uh, maybe pass the word along. Actually, the person I really want to talk to is Alan Dershowitz. Uh, I want to challenge him and, and get his view on Marbury versus Madison, because my contention is that Marbury versus Madison is a completely unconstitutional decision, giving the Supreme Court the power of what they call judicial review. In other words, we're the final authority on everything. We'll tell you what's constitutional. We'll tell you what isn't. We'll tell you what, what the remedy is. We will legislate, we will regulate, and we will uh, judiciate, <laughs> is that a word, from the bench. And uh, they can't do that. But they have and people let them. You know, so all that's necessary for the Supreme Court to be a tyrannical force is for good people to believe they can. <laughs> and most people do, unfortunately. All right. So all these things are going on. It's a very, very busy time. Uh, as Wendy said, this is, this is one of the most exciting times in human history. I absolutely agree. Uh, and I'm happy to be a part of it. I just wish I were a much bigger part of it. But that's censorship. That's what happens when you're censored. That's what happens when you come up with the truth. You know, when you say on March 2nd that uh, chloroquine cures COVID and uh, elderberries help build your immunity and uh, this whole vaccine thing is a total farce. You don't need it. You know, we've already got uh, early treatments. They work. Hydroxychloroquine works. You know, although it was chloroquine in those days, I didn't know about the hydroxy part for a little while. But on March 2nd, it, I, I knew chloroquine worked. I had the DDRL study. I said this, I don't know how many times on the air, but I knew that, uh, that, that Fauci was lying to everybody. Well, once you realize that, the rest is easy. But the, the question is, well, how did I know? Uh, first of all, logic and reason. It made sense to me. It never made sense that, uh, that this was a good plan to do, especially because I knew vaccine history. See, now I came out of the 90s uh, where we had another vaccine scare, and a lot of people called, you know, anti-vaxxers were created. Well, that's when I was created as an anti-vaxxer. I've been an anti-vax for a long time. I think if you want to do it, free will. It's your choice. So smoking. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I wouldn't do it myself but I wouldn't stop you from doing it. But the only way that you can make a, a proper decision is to be properly informed. And see, this is the part they took away. But the information was out there. In fact, I still have, now some articles are gone. Uh, some articles that were in the Washington Post that were actually uh, favorable to the truth. Uh, they require a big subscription, which, you know, someday I'll subscribe to all these services, but uh, it's, it's a lot because, you know, I just, so I have, but so what's really nice is that so many places where there is a, um, uh, a source like the Washington Post that wants to charge you, somebody else has reprinted it, so you, you can catch them back. All right, so let's start with one of my favorite articles. This goes. This is one of the very first ones to come out, March 11, 2020. So this is four days before 15 days to slow the spread, just to give you a little time. So the timeline is January, end of January, Trump um, bans travel from China and Europe. Uh, February 25th, Bill Gertz is on our show from the Washington Times telling us about the Wuhan lab. So we knew about the Wuhan lab three years ago. Uh, March, uh, February 27th, I wrote a bill saying that this is a bioweapon, that it's a flu bug, uh, that uh, there's no reason for vaccines, that early treatments work, and that uh, no more than half of Congress's money for COVID should go to vaccines. The other half has to go, or more, has to go to early treatments. That's February 27th. March 2nd, declare on the show, you know, the, the vaccine's a hoax. It's, it's crazy. We don't need it. Uh, the pandemic's going to be over in six to 10 weeks like every other 
you know, flu bug that comes through, uh, stop panicking, get real. And, uh, you know, uh, for 99.9 plus percent of Americans, you're looking at modest, uh, well, no, moderate, not modest, but moderate symptoms at worst. So except for the people that re- were really vulnerable, that really needed protection, most people were going to be fine. And most people were fine. You know, Peter McCullough says that, uh, Dr. McCullough, who's been on the show, he said it on our show, that 94% of Americans have had COVID. Well, if it was that dangerous, we'd have, have deaths in the, 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 you know, the hundreds of millions, you know, like 100 to 200. If, if COVID was as deadly as they said, 100 to 200 million Americans would be dead right now. Well, it's not that deadly. In, in fact, uh, the people that were killed um, were not even listed properly. So the actual amount of people killed is about, what, 6% of the total who actually died from COVID? So if a million people died, 6% of a million, and let's do quick math, 10% would be 100, uh, 50,000, it's about 60,000 people actually died from COVID. And those, they say that 90% could have been saved um, with early treatments. That's Dr. Zelenko, that's uh, Peter McCullough, Malone, all the, all the doctors. So you're going to save at least 95%. So it's 95% of 60,000. Well, uh, 10% would be 6,000. Uh, wait a minute, so let me 95%. So there'd be over 50,000, 55,000. So you only would have lost five or 6,000 people. Yeah, 10% would be 6,000. Yeah, okay, all right. Let's do my math here. 95%, so 3,000 people. So if COVID, uh, if, if early treatments were out and the truth were out there, uh, we probably would have lost about 3,000 people to COVID. <laughs> let, me, let me make sure my math is correct. All right, so let me say, so, so I said uh, a million people they think died. And of those they could have, you know, how did I figure that out initially? Most of the only 6%, all right, so let's go, I think it was 6%, so let's go a million. Let me get my calculator out here. So a million people. Uh, times 0.06 is 60,000. So I was right there. So 60,000 people died with COVID. Everybody uh, died from COVID, from COVID. 60,000 died from COVID. Everybody else died with COVID. Well, with COVID doesn't count because, you know, it's heart attack, cancer, diabetes, you know, flu, influenza, everything else. So if you figure 60,000 died uh, from COVID, and they say that about 90 to 95%, let's just say 90%, 90% could have been saved uh, with early treatments, let's say times 0.9%, that yeah, so 6,000 that would have died from COVID was about 6,000 people. Uh, that's, what the, that's what the experts say, okay? So 6,000, 6, you're going to shut down a nation, you know, for, for 6,000 people? I mean, probably that many die, you know, every month. I don't know how many people die. I mean, we can check that out. But the point is 6,000 people is not a million. You know, and those are vulnerable people anyway, and hopefully they could be treated. Um, but that's what they say. 6,000 people roughly would have died uh, from coronavirus uh, anyway. Okay, and the flu kills over 80,000 a year. So every year we lose 80 plus, that, what, 80 to 90,000 maybe people to the flu? And you're worried about 6,000, which is magnitude less? It's less than 10%. Less than 10%. Should I divide 6,000 by 80,000? Let's see what I get. I'm not good at math. I'm really not. You know, in fact, I'm terrible at math. <laughs> but let's, let's see if we can figure this out here. So let's go. What am I trying to figure out here? Uh, percentage. So 6,000 divided by 54,000 is 0.1, uh, uh, Maybe I'll get away from the math. I don't want to spend my time doing it. All right. So first article, most Americans will likely be exposed to coronavirus, Republicans told. Apparently, Democrats were told also in a separate briefing, but this is the article I found. This article is in Daily Beast. Seems I'm having trouble pulling it up. Daily Beast, Daily Beast. 
uh, what's my date here? March 11th, 2020. Again, four days before, 15 days to slow the spread, right? This is a, a member of Congress who attended a closed-door briefing where the assessment was made called the prediction sobering. Uh, and this is from Betty Swan, former political reporter, uh, Olivia Messer, reporter, updated March 11th, 2020. So this is old news. And this is, this is, this is how it was reported. Very simply, last week, Republican members of Congress heard a sober warning in a closed-door briefing on Capitol Hill. Well, it wasn't that close because we've got the, we got the notes from the briefing, right? Uh, and it's, they said there's a good chance most people in the United States will eventually be exposed to the novel coronavirus, according to one former official. Most people are going to be exposed. Okay. Well, we know masks don't work. So, so if people are going to be exposed, the sooner they're exposed, the sooner we develop herd immunity, the better for the country, right? That only makes sense. Article says the assessment from a former White House public health official who now works in the pharmaceutical industry, we've heard that before, did not suggest that most people will become infected or ill, rather just that most will encounter the virus. You get that? Most people will become, this is the, the let me start again. So the pharmaceutical industry you know, rep who used to work for the White House did not suggest that most people will become infected or ill, rather just that most will encounter the virus which has killed at least 31 Americans and infected hundreds more. So most Americans will just encounter the virus. So what pandemic? Well, there isn't one. If, if, the, if the Congress was told that most Americans are simply going to encounter the virus, why was this massive rush, rush to vaccines and massive COVID spending? Well, because they, they had the truth. They had the truth back in March. They had the truth before 15 days of the spread. They're a bunch of freaking hypocrites. Okay? Either they wanted to spend money, they wanted to lie to, or they just perpetuated the lie. Either they were told to lie or they wanted to lie. Why? <laughs> There's no reason for it. They were briefed that coronavirus, most Americans are going to be exposed to it, doesn't mean they're going to get sick. So where's the problem? Article says not all public health experts share this view. Of course not. And who's to say they're experts? The experts are invariably wrong. And, then, and not everyone exposed to the virus will become infected. Still, the briefing highlighted the potential gravity of the growing crisis. Two sources, a member of Congress who attended the briefing and a second person with knowledge of it, described in the remarks made last week to the Daily Beast. They were delivered by Rajiv Venkaya. That's R-A-J-E-E-V-E-N-K-A-Y-Y-A. Sounds Indian. Probably somebody who came here on a visa to our medical school, right? Now the president of the Global Vaccines Business Unit at the Tokyo-based pharmaceutical giant, Takeda, G-A-K-E-D-A. The member of Congress uh, said that the cut was sobering, while the second person noted it came during a discussion about how to manage the cost of medical care related to the coronavirus. Well, see, it always comes down to money, right? So uh, anyway, point being, that's, uh, Congress knew. Both the Democrats and the Republicans knew that pretty much everybody was going to be exposed to it. So all the stuff they did, um, you know, when they went crazy, uh, was for, for their own personal power and uh, – ego or who knows what it was for. But they, they knew the truth that most people were going to expose, but it didn't mean that they were, they were going to get sick. First revelation. Second revelation. Epidemiologist, coronavirus could be exterminated if lockdowns were lifted. Well, what a surprise. April 7th, 2020. Okay. Three months in? What? It started basically February, so March, April, two months in. Well, let's say January. January, when the, when the very first action was taken, when Trump at the end of January uh, closed down travel from China and Europe. So we're talking three months in, barely started. 15 days to slow the spread had just ended. Or did it? No, actually, I think it went on longer. They, they extended it. So 15 days to slow the spread went into massive, you know, national lockdown. But this is April 7th. We're, we're still, you know, barely getting going here. And this is from uh, Daniel Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, April 7th, 2020. 
A veteran scholar of epidemiology has warned that the ongoing lockdowns throughout the United States and the rest of the world are almost certainly just prolonging the coronavirus outbreak rather than doing anything to truly mitigate it, which is what I have said all along, that all the measures taken by our, you know, Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis, uh, perpetuated through the governors, mayors, and the city councils, and the county commissions, were to preserve COVID. They had to preserve COVID in the population. They couldn't afford to have herd immunity to get rid of it. They had to preserve it so they could bring on the vaccines. You had to have the threat and the fear in order to bring on this so-called vaccine that isn't a vaccine that is now causing COVID. <laughs> okay? It's a self-perpetuating marketing thing. So, you know, we all knew. You know, I, I read this article back on April 7th when it came out. It's still got it. But I've got an entire file of early COVID articles. This is why I bring them out. So, oh, we knew. They knew. They all knew. This is why this is so horrible, which is such a crime against humanity. Because the, they're going to come out and say, we didn't know. Yeah, you did. I've just proved it. Next paragraph. Newt Witkowski. That's K-N-U-T-W-I-T-T-K-O-W-S-K-I. Newt Witkowski. Previously, the longtime head of the Department of Biostatistics, Epidemiology, and Research Design at the Rockefeller University in New York City. Well, that's interesting. He's medical. <laughs> Rockefeller Medicine, right? Said in an interview with the press and the public project that the coronavirus could be exterminated. Let me say that again. The coronavirus could be exterminated if we permitted most people to lead normal lives and sheltered the most vulnerable parts of society until the danger had passed. And it's exactly what we talked about on the show. You let everybody else lead their life, and you protect the people most vulnerable. That's, that was the simple answer to COVID. It was always the answer. Constitution works. Freedom works. Freedom of information would have worked. He says, what people are trying to do is flatten the curve. I don't really know why. This is the article, right? He says, but what happens if, is if you flatten the curve, you also prolong to widen it, and it takes more time. See, slowing the spread was always the intention. Why? To preserve COVID preserve the virus until they could, you know, come up with their messenger RNA gene therapy, pro, you know, uh, vaccine preservative of COVID. So that's what it does. Unfortunately, a lot of people are dying because of it. The evidence is there. I got it right here. Reading it right, right. Anybody wants to go? So why, why do you think I give you my sources? Well, the source of this is the College Fix. That's the name of the website. Breaking Campus News, Launching Media Careers. Oh. Daniel Payne. April 7th, 2020. Easy to find. I still got it unless they took it down. But if they took it down, they would have taken it off my computer too. I couldn't log back into it. He says, Kurt Vekoski, with all respiratory diseases, the only thing that stops the disease is herd immunity. Oh, my. Let me say that again. With, respi- with all, 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 he's right there. With all respiratory diseases, the only thing that stops the disease is herd immunity. And I'm not talking about the UN version after a vaccine. I'm talking about regular, good old-fashioned herd immunity. People get sick, their immune system fights it, battles it, gets rid of it, it's done. That's how it works. That's how I did it. You know, a couple of days rest, felt a little sluggish, you know, eh, she felt pretty bad, coughed a lot. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel that bad, but I really coughed a lot. That was the biggest problem I had with COVID. A couple of days of rest, it was gone. That was my early treatment. Article says about 80% of the people, oh, this is the quote here, uh, with all respiratory diseases, the only thing that stops the disease is herd immunity. About 80% of the people need to have had contact with the virus, and the majority of them won't even have recognized that they were infected. Yeah, in other words, you have it, you get rid of it, no big deal, right? Or they had very, very mild symptoms, especially if they are children. So it's very important to keep the schools open and the kids mingling to spread the virus to get herd immunity as fast as possible. 
Let me read that again. It's very important to keep the schools open and the kids mingling to spread the virus to get herd immunity as fast as possible. April 7th, 2020. Then he says, and then the elderly people who should be separated and the nursing homes should be closed during that time can come back and meet their children and grandchildren after about four weeks when the virus has been exterminated. What did they do instead? They brought the virus directly to the nursing homes, infected and killed people in the nursing homes. They isolated those people from their family members. You know, not after the virus has gone away because they did everything to keep the virus alive, but during the time that the virus was at its most dangerous and they killed those people. And that is mass murder. Witowski continues. He says, well, the article continues. Witowski argued that the standard cycle of respiratory diseases is a two-week outbreak, including a peak, after which it's gone. He pointed out that even in a regime of social distancing, the virus will still find ways to spread just more slowly. So the best thing we should scrap the six-foot distance because that preserved COVID. No, don't slow the spread. Have the spread go as quickly as possible. In fact, I have the CDC chart. I got a Substack article on this. It's easy to find. Just go to gregpenglis.substack.com. I've got the CDC chart that showed that death started in February, pretty much. Um, by uh, uh, April 15th, it peaked. February, March, April, two months later. Uh, and by mid-July 2020, it was gone. The death rate was heading for zero. That was the real COVID. And then came all, but then by then all the preservation measures had kicked in, masks, social distancing, lockdowns, anxiety, stress, and everything else they did. So everything that, that was done was done to preserve COVID. And it worked. They preserved it all the way till uh, they came out with their non-vaccine. Uh, and we know the rest of the story now. Dr. Ladipo, Florida Surgeon General, just said the, the vaccine is dangerous under all circumstances or something to that effect. Probably should go to the news and get a direct quote. So here we go. The article then gets to Dr. Fascist. It says, asked about Anthony Fauci, the White House medical expert, who for weeks has been predicting significant numbers of COVID-19 deaths in America, <laughs> that was part of his marketing, as well as major ongoing disruptions to daily life, possibly for years. <gasps> oh, no. Witowski replied, well, I'm not paid by the government, so I'm entitled to actually do science. <laughs> it's probably my favorite quote from this article. I'm not paid by the government, so I'm entitled to actually do science. So, yeah, don't be fascist. Yeah, he's not science. He says he's science. He's really not science. <sighs> Next article. <laughs> this, this is kind of fun. Uh, it, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's tragic, but it's still I, I, Listen, I always try to keep my humor, even in the, in the gravest of situations. Town Hall. Opinion. Marina Medvin, M-E-D-V-I-N, April 15th, 2020, which was the actual peak of the coronavirus, according to CDC's own charts. Israeli professor shows virus follows fixed pattern. Well, this is interesting. How fixed? Let's find out. Professor Yitzhak Ben Israel of Tel Aviv University, who also serves on the Research and Development Advisory Board for Tevia Pharmaceutical Industries. Of course, everybody works for the government and works for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> That's pretty standard, right, worldwide. Um, Tevia Pharmaceutical Industries plotted the rates of new coronavirus infections of the U.S., U.K., Sweden, Italy, Israel, Switzerland, France, Germany, and Spain. Now, a couple of uh, notables there. Sweden is the one industry, it was the one country that didn't lock down that didn't, you know, mandate the non-vaccine, did the best of all. <laughs> the, the rest of the countries, oh, Switzerland, I'm not sure how Switzerland did, but uh, the others, eh, especially Italy, eh, we'll see. Anyway, the article says the numbers told a shocking story. Irrespective of whether the country quarantined like Israel or went about business as usual like Sweden, 
coronavirus peaked and subsided in exactly the same way. Let me say that again. Coronavirus peaked and subsided in exactly the same way. In the exact same, you know, this says, and then it says, in the exact same way. <laughs> you know, his graph shows that all countries experienced seemingly identical coronavirus infection patterns with the number of infected peaking in the sixth week and rapidly subsiding by the eighth week. In other words, two months. You know, f- you know, from February to April, and then from April to, well, actually, it looks a little bit longer on the CDC chart, but basically, it was gone in, um, it was effectively already, you know, herd immunity, um, you know, within a month. <laughs> this is fascinating, right? Let me just read that again, because it really, it really is amazing. So the numbers told a shocking story. So it just blows out of the water everything that you've been told about coronavirus from the government. Because the government makes money, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, maybe, maybe tomorrow. How uh, all the royal, the, the, the this is in the news now too, the Dole Buy Act that allowed government workers um, and employees to make money on the work they did for the government, you know, in regards to uh, creating and research and development. So that's how Dr. Fascist makes all his money. Why do you think he markets these products? That he has the government mandate that he make money by uh, having big pharma pay royalties for a product they're not liable for, you know, pay him because he paid the money with the grants and everything to develop this stuff. Gee, what a what a nice racket. <sighs> Follows exactly the same pattern. Sweden and Israel, same rate of infection, same peak, same downturn. Didn't matter what you did. All that stuff was for nothing, except to preserve the COVID virus. All right, back to the article. It says, the Wuhan virus follows its own pattern, he told Mako, an Israeli news agency. That sounds like a shark, right? It is a fixed pattern that is not dependent on freedom or quarantine. Quote, there is a decline in the number of infections, even in countries without closures. And it is similar to the countries with closures. Here's the quote. Is the coronavirus expansion exponential? Uh, The answer by the numbers is simple. No. <laughs> Expansion begins exponentially, but fades quickly about, uh, after about eight weeks. As Professor Yitzhak Ben Israel concluded, the reason why coronavirus follows a fixed pattern is yet unknown. He says, I have no explanation. He says, there are, he says, there are is kinds of speculation. Know, that's probably just the misprint there. He says, maybe it's climate related. <laughs> maybe the virus has its own life cycle. Well, that would make sense. But what about Italy and their staggering 12% mortality rate? The health system in Italy has its own problems. It has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Bet you didn't hear that for a while. In 2017, it also collapsed because of the flu. Professor Yitzhak Ben Israel told the news agency, indeed, Italy's exceptionally high coronavirus mortality rate is eerily reminiscent of their unusually high flu mortality rates. So that means it's a problem with their health system and their government, not the, the virus, just as what viruses do. Then it says, supportive of this theory, Germany has low flu infection and mortality rates and similarly low coronavirus rates. What a surprise. Professor Yitzhak Ben Israel concludes in his analysis summary paper that the data from the past 50 days indicates that the the closure policies of the quarantine countries can be replaced by more moderate social distancing policies. The numbers simply do not support quarantine or economic closure. Once again, Congress had listened. Governor said, listen, the information was there. All there. All right. Let's see what else I got here. I got a few more of these. This is, this is quite fascinating. Vaccine impact, March 27th, 2020. So this is at the end of 15 days to slow the spread. Dr. Fauci's history in spending billions of government funds on vaccine research with little to show for it. Yeah, this guy's a parasite. <laughs> a miserable human being and, and a, a crime against humanity. And basically, you know, if this were a wartime, he'd be a war criminal. This is Dr. Fauci and COVID-19 priorities, therapeutics now or vaccines later. 
well, of course, the answer was therapeutics. Now, this is from Lynn Redwood, uh, 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 registered nurse, President Mary Holland. This is of Children's Health Defense. This is Robert Francis Kennedy's organization. All right. uh, she's Mary Holland Children's Health Defense Council and vice chair and the Children's Health Defense team. This is, the, this is the rapidity with which normal life has ground to a halt as a result of coronavirus-related edicts has stunned citizens around the world, generating massive social and economic upheaval. And that was all for no reason, based on the previous articles. Then it says, meanwhile, media coverage of COVID-19 has whipped up unprecedented levels of public anxiety and fear, laying the psychological groundwork for people to eagerly embrace, quote, magic bullet medical solutions, no matter how experimental. And I would uh, relate that to what we learned later about, you know, mass public psychosis. In other words, the society gone crazy. The elements that are required and the elements that are required to get rid of it. So this is, this is this, they actually created a, a mass psychosis intentionally to market their product. Then it says the article, in the U.S., uh, the World Health Organization, the WHO, is now compounding the domestic panic, warning that America could become the new coronavirus epicenter. <gasps> Doom and gloom, right? Yeah, herd immunity, eight to ten weeks, gone, right? <laughs> Remember the previous article? Then it says, across the country, a debate is raging about the nation's medical response and how best to apportion available resources. Many argue, quite reasonably, for the importance of identifying safe, effective, and affordable therapies that can provide immediate help to those who are sick. And I point out the two best known, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Back to the article. On March 22nd, the New York Times reported that there are at least 69 existing drugs or compounds that might be effective in treating the coronavirus. Let me say that again, just in case you missed. I'd forgotten this. On March 22nd, right in the middle, second week of 15 days to slow the spread, right? The New York Times, back when they were actually reporting news, reported that there are at least 69 existing compounds that might be effective in treating the coronavirus. So what happened to the New York Times? Why didn't they editorialize and say, wait a minute, you know, uh, we, we got a choice. You can take a vaccine or there are 69 uh, other compounds that, that uh, you know, very well might defeat this thing. Never heard that after a while. Somebody got to the New York Times. <sighs> Article continues. In China, researchers are studying intravenous vaccine as a potential non-toxic treatment, while a paper published in French uh, published by French researchers on March 20th describing promising COVID-19 results from the off-label use of, here you go, hydroxychloroquine, an anti-malarial, and azithromycin, an antibiotic. And who pioneered that? Well, first of all, it was Dr. Didier Rowe uh, in Marseille, France. This is where they said a French study. And then Dr. Zelenko. Dr. Vladimir Zelenko here in the United States, the little Jewish community in, upper state, in upstate New York. He's passed on now, and not because of COVID, uh, and not because the government killed him. He already had uh, lung cancer and heart disease. He was already sick long before this hit. Uh, I was just blessed to be able to talk to him a couple times on the air, uh, communicate with him off the air, write a bill with him to reform the FDA so this never happens again. And that bill um, has gone nowhere, despite the fact that there's a Zelenko Foundation. They've never touched this bill, talked about this bill, and those folks have been on the show. How about that? I've got to find a way to get through this block. There's a block of citizen legislation. People don't understand it, don't do it, don't want it, don't something. But the, maybe it's just too simple. Maybe the cure is we write a bill that will solve all the problems people talk about, and yet they'd rather talk about the problems, they'd rather complain than deal with the problem. I don't understand that. If anybody wants to help me out, feel free. Let me check out live chat. I've been reading articles for a while to see if anybody's on live chat. Nope, not yet. Okay, that's fine. No one's called in either. Most people listen by podcast, so that's why I don't get a lot of calls to the show. 
All right. Here we go. The head of the French team, Didier Raoult, D-I-D-I-E-R-R-A-O-U-L-T, Raoult, M.D., Ph.D., a lot more educated than Dr. Fascist, obviously, is one of the world's top infectious disease and virology experts. That's why I post that thing that uh, Dr. Fascist doesn't have a virology degree. He's got a basic M.D. I don't think he's ever seen a patient. I checked his resume. It doesn't show him ever working uh, in a hospital or in a private practice, ever. I don't know if he's a, he may have never seen a patient in his life. It's amazing that nobody in Congress asked him about that. I, I, I think I know why, because most of, of Congress is connected to Big Pharma either through uh, campaign donations or like Rand Paul, uh, Rand Paul's wife, um, allegedly, <laughs> has a bunch of stock in Gilead. Well, Gilead makes remdesivir. That's the one that causes kidneys to fail and people to end up on ventilators. He's never asked for, for uh, uh, in fact, you know, Dr. Fascist has never had his credentials challenged. He's just a basic MD. Well, he's just a very good bureaucrat. That's, that's what his expertise is. And the only thing he's an expert at is giving out money for things that make him money. He's kind of like the, the Bernie Madoff of government. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Maybe I should call him that more often. Huh, Dr. Bernie Madoff, fascist. <laughs> You know, BM fascist. There we go. Article says, Raoult, that's Dr. D. Raoult, and co-authors point out that a major advantage of repositioning older drugs for the coronavirus is that their safety profile, side effects, uh, dosing, and drug in- interactions are already well documented. Yeah. So the 60 years that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine have been around, approximately, uh, they have a proven track record. They know what the doses are. They know how to deal with it. Uh, and then they know the side effects. Why wouldn't you use those drugs? Repositioned? Yeah, just bring them up. For, in other words, use them for something else that they're really good at taking care of. Apparently, something that's an anti-malarial is also good at getting rid of the coronavirus. Right? Sounds good. Article says, however, <laughs> however, <laughs> uh-oh, here it comes. Ian Lipkin, MD of Columbia University, recently told MSNBC, uh-oh, with a grin, <laughs> that investments tend to go toward treatments that are sexy and new and patentable. Patentable. Let me say that one more time. Patentable. In other words, they can make money off it by creating a patent. Rather than it says to tried and true classic sorts of methods, repurposing drugs and strategies that have already been shown to work. So in other words, they, they get rid of the stuff that they know works so they can sell the very expensive stuff that uh, they haven't a clue about and don't really care because they're not liable. Amazing. Back to the article. Vaccine impact. Fauci's tired rhetoric. For biopharma companies that are poised to profit from COVID-19-related misfortune, all the drugs that have outlived their patent uh, terms are not terribly helpful for the bottom line. So in other words, the stuff that works doesn't make enough money. So they'd rather kill you and make money than get you something that works, you know, that, that uh, costs less. <laughs> That's malpractice at the minimum, uh, leading all over to, to genocide and crimes against humanity. Article says, could this be why leading White House coronavirus advisor, Anthony Fauci, MD, says the only two letters after his name, MD, right? Well, he is a doctor. I'll give him credit for that, but he doesn't have a degree in virology, doesn't have a degree in microbiology, uh, doesn't have a degree in genetics. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have uh, a lot of things. <laughs> All he has is a basic MD. You know, he's like a little country doctor, except he's never seen patients. So uh, <laughs> anyway. So, so White House Coronavirus Advisor, Anthony Fauci, MD, longtime head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, something for which I would say he is uniquely unqualified for, then it says recently poo-pooed the, the published chloroquine uh, evidence as merely anecdotal. Yes, well, it's anecdotal, man. You don't know if it works, right? So we, we got to go develop something new and uh, bring something else out there. Yeah, right, exactly. Something that makes him uh, and his fellow health Nazis and uh, 
you know, the fascists of big pharma money. That's what, that's what I did. It was all about money. Coronavirus was a marketing campaign, a very deadly marketing campaign. But nonetheless, if you break it down, it's a marketing campaign. It's a virus that perpetuates the selling of a product that doesn't do as intended, that they're not responsible for, that makes them billions of dollars. Fascinating. Article says Fauci is a stalwart enthusiastic, enthusiast of patentable vaccines. Let me say that again. Fauci is a stalwart enthusiast of patentable vaccines. Skilled in attracting massive government funding for vaccines that either never materialize or are spectacularly ineffective or unsafe. In other words, this man is incredibly dangerous, and God knows how many people he's killed. We did a show, Did uh, Dr. Fascist Kill Freddie Mercury of Queen with AZT? Our conclusion was, yes, he did. Timeline matches up. Article says, for example, Fauci once shilled for the the fast-tracked H1N1 influenza, swine flu that is, vaccine on YouTube, reassuring viewers in 2009 that serious adverse events were, quote, very, very, very rare. Shortly thereafter, the vaccine went on to wreak havoc in multiple countries, increasing miscarriage risks in pregnant women in the U.S., provoking a spike of adolescent narcolepsy, I guess that's like falling asleep and dying, (laughs) and in Scandinavia, uh, causing uh, febrile convulsions in one in every 110 vaccinated children uh, in Australia. Let me read that again so it makes sense. Shortly thereafter, the vaccine went on to wreak havoc in multiple countries, increasing miscarriage rates in pregnant women in the U.S., provoking a spike in adolescent narcolepsy in Scandinavia and causing febrile convulsions in one in every 110 vaccinated children in Australia, prompting the latter to, quote, suspend its influenza vaccine program in under fives. Hmm. Should have suspended it for everybody. In 2010, that's the year Moderna was created, by the way, incidentally. In 2010, then-Senator and physician Tom Coburn, M.D., called out Fauci for misleadingly touting, quote, significant progress in HIV vaccine research. Coburn stated, the study Fauci referred to was a clinical trial in Thailand finding a vaccine to be 31% effective at preventing HIV infection. Unfortunately, the results of the study have been found to be statistically insignificant, and the findings of the study have received much skepticism. Most scientists involved in AIDS research believe that an HIV vaccine is further away than ever and may never be possible. Hmm. Amazing how much money it got, right? Article says Senator Coburn also noted that Fauci's agency has spent over $5.2 million over a four-year period on lavish HIV vaccine awareness events. That's a PR campaign. (laughs) Without the least hint of embarrassment, however, Fauci reappeared on YouTube in 2016 to once again push his HIV vaccine agenda, even citing the unimpressive Thailand trial. Fauci's mobilization of billions for a never-completed Zika virus, Zika vaccine, excuse me, followed a similar playbook. And now Fauci is predictably shining a spotlight on risky and uncertain coronavirus vaccines that may not be available for two years rather than prioritizing the short-term therapies that patients need right now. Bingo. First off the block. Next section. According to the WHO, the WHO, up to 35 COVID-19 vaccines are in the offing. 35? I guess they're not done yet including experimental messenger RNA vaccines and formulations that attach coronavirus to genetically modified measles vaccines. Well, that's interesting. They went with the mRNA ones, apparently. So as biopharma companies position themselves to, to reap blockbuster profits, which they did, the first off the block is a vaccine thrown together at record speed by Fauci's NIAID in collaboration with Massachusetts-based biotech firm Moderna. Hmm, see how the old pieces fall into place, right? 
NIAID and Moderna began developing the vaccine before a single COVID case had appeared in the U.S. <laughs> I think they've been developing it for years. <laughs> I think they developed the vaccine back in 2010, along with the, uh, the non-vaccine, excuse me, along with the virus. I think they went hand in hand. I think they're a, they're a, uh, a two-part bioweapon, you know, a binary bioweapon. I think that this, uh, we'll, we'll, that'll come out one day. Uh, this is completing the first batch of vaccine within 42 days of the company uh, obtaining genetic information on the coronavirus. See, the, the, everybody, the, the coronavirus genome was published. China, I don't know how they did it or how, why, but the, 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 the actual coronavirus virus genetic you know, information was published way back. <laughs> so, of course, they could develop you know, uh, you know, drugs for it. They also knew that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin killed it. That's why they suppressed that so they could get their, their experimental vaccine onto the market and make billions. Then it says the vaccine, which bears the ho-hum name of messenger RNA-1273, uses an unproven mRNA technology platform, mRNA, messenger RNA. Uh, Vaccines appeal to industry because of the potential for, quote, rapid, inexpensive, and scalable manufacturing. In other words, it's cheap to produce. But researchers at Harvard and other medical sciences institutions, medical sciences institutions, have issued warnings about the vaccine's propensity to produce higher rates of side effects, uh uh-oh, including local and systemic inflammation and worrisome autoimmune responses. Yeah, this is before they learned about the blood clots. Things that the non-native modified nucleotides used in messenger RNA vaccines and components of mRNA vaccines delivery systems have potentially toxic effects. Those would be the lipid nanoparticles we've heard about from Dr. Malone. These researchers recommend taking precautions during preclinical studies and clinical trials. Well, of course, those trials were never properly done. Didn't matter. You know, Fauci, on the other hand, praises the, quote, new era of vaccinology, of which the messenger RNA-1273 effort is a part, celebrating its use of atomic-level structural information for vaccine design, gene-based vaccine platforms, modern protein engineering, and proven potent adjuvants. Like what, graphene oxide? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, there's more of this article, but I want to do more. Uh, Let's see if I can get you another one here. Oh, I read that one. Oh, here we go. Here's another one, March 13th, two days before, 15 days, 15 days to slow the spread. The Healthcare Channel. That's YouTube, actually, but I've got to some of the text. Anthony Fauci unjustifiably caused a mask panic. Not mask panic, mass panic, M-A-S-S, panic. March 13th, 2020, by the administrators of the Health Channel, Healthcare Channel, excuse me. They said, oh, it's by Stephen E. Greer, MD. So March 30th, 2020, Stephen E. Greer, G-R-E-E-R-M-D, said with one sentence in, his, in response to a question from a congressional hearing, an obscure medical doctor caused a mass panic, mass panic of unprecedented proportion. The doctor was 79-year-old Anthony Fauci, the head of the NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. How did he do this? Was he correct or, or wrong in an epic way? The Wall Street Journal reported just two days ago when a Republican congressman used his time in a public coronavirus briefing to ask Dr. Fauci, he thought he would get a calming response. The Ivy League had recently uh, canceled the rest of the season. Yeah, that was stupid. The National Basketball Association was still playing in full arenas. Okay, yeah, they canceled too, if I remember. Then it says, so here's the question from Representative Glenn Grothman. Is the NBA underreacting or is the Ivy League overreacting? In other words, the Ivy League, you know, the, the Ivy League canceled football games and the NBA was still playing. 
And here's the quote. It says, the unsettling answer that Dr. Anthony Fauci offered to Congress changed everything over a dizzying 24 hours that will be remembered as the most extraordinary day for American sports in decades. Quote, we would recommend that there not be large crowds, said Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, an expert who has been a fixture of American public health for nearly four decades, and I would add screwed up pretty much every time. He says, if that means not having any people in the audience when the NBA plays, so be it. Listen to that. I'll do it in Dr. Fauci. Yeah, we would recommend that there not be large crowds. If that means not having any people in the audience when the NBA plays, so be it. <sighs> I don't know. I'm just speechless, and that's, that's hard for a talk show host. Right? Article says, Fauci's candid remarks caught the NBA and some Trump administration officials by surprise. Yeah, I got to find out somehow, some way, uh, how Trump was lied to, who lied to him, and why he believed it. That's something we need to explore, uh, especially before the 2024 uh, campaign, uh, before the election. He really needs to make a statement on that. You know, uh, here's where I screwed up. Here's what I did wrong. Here's what I thought. Here's who told me what it is. Here's who's never going to work in government again. I mean, that would be a great thing for him to do, hopefully soon. Article says, Fauci's candid remarks caught the NBA and some Trump administrations by surprise, but they were proven to be prescient almost immediately. By the end of Wednesday, <laughs> was that the next day? By the end of Wednesday, the NBA season was not just specterless, it was suspended. What happened in between was that Utah Jazz center Ruby, uh, Rudy Gobert tested positive for the virus and became forever known as the patient zero in American professional sports. Well, again, are those the tests that they, they amplified 40 times to find COVID anywhere? We don't know. Then it says less than a day after Fauci was in front of Congress answering questions about the NBA, the league had made the decision to shut itself down for at least 30 days. Several teams were in self-quarantine, and the entire sports industry was being shaken to its core. The NBA's action was the tipping point that prompted a wave of similar moves from other sports and shocked many Americans into paying attention to a global pandemic that has now disrupted everyday life in the U.S. The suspensions, which I would add happened for no reason, continued on Thursday with the National Hockey League, Major Baseball, and the NCAA March Madness Tournament. Wow. Then it says entire cities are now shutting down. New York has banned large crowds, over 500 people in, in size. The subways might stop running. Most schools are shutting down indefinitely. All because this idiot, this, this, wow, this manipulative genius is what he really is, said that uh, we shouldn't have large crowds. That's all he said. We would recommend that there not be large crowds. If that means not having any people in the audience when the NBA plays, so be it. I remember when he said it. I remember exactly when he said it. This guy's nuts. Total whack job. And yet people listen. You know, he, the article says, was Dr. Fauci acting as the face of coronavirus, as a policymaker, uh, correct in stating that large crowds should be avoided? The answer is an unequivocal no. Thank you very much. There are no, this is the healthcare channel, right? Healthcare channel. Let me, let me get you the date again. The healthcare channel. Anthony Fauci unjustifiably caused a mass panic. March 13th of 2020. We're still two days before 15 days to, to slow the spread. And the healthcare channel has already denounced Fauci as dangerous. With a simple word here. Now, it says, you know, was uh, Dr. Fauci acting as the face of coronavirus, which he never should have gotten. Trump should never have allowed that man to take the stage. Never. He says, in the face of coronavirus, as a policymaker, correct in stating that large crowds should be avoided. The answer is an unequivocal no, because we already proved that large crowds would have been the fastest way to spread it and get herd immunity. See, Dr. Fascist knew that. He knew that large crowds would spread it faster, that people would get over it faster, that we get herd immunity faster, it would go away faster. 
So again, everything was done to preserve COVID, not save lives. Preserve COVID until they could bring out their non-vaccine. That was the marketing plan. Article says there are no official epidemiology guidelines to warrant shutting down a nation for the level of threat that COVID-19 poses. If there were, the CDC should have been the agency to issue them, not an NIH bench lab researcher never confirmed by the Senate. That would be Dr. Fascist. Article says there's no reason to view the COVID-19 coronavirus as being a deadly threat more dangerous than a myriad other uh, viruses that are amongst us all the time. As of March 13th, there have been 40 deaths and 1,600 diagnosed cases in this country. All of the deaths have been people who were elderly or otherwise medically challenged from, you know, from illness. And that would be what we call comorbidities. In other words, co-things that will kill you. The number from South Korea, where testing is far more prevalent, supported a death rate of well under 1%. There is currently no reason to treat COVID-19 like a science fiction pandemic to kill half the population. Let me say that again. There is currently no reason to treat COVID-19 like a science fiction pandemic to kill half the population. Why was it this widespread? This is the healthcare channel. Okay, and here it is, the, the healthcare channel. The HCC is the first internet television channel with original content dedicated to the institutional investor policymaker in Washington, uh, healthcare industry executive and thought leader medical doctor. This is, this is the experts talking to the experts. This is designed for people in Congress to listen to. This is designed for the president to listen to, and they never did. You know, everything we said so far, how Congress knew, they got briefed on it, uh, how the articles are out there, that uh, epidemiologists say whether you're locked down or not, the virus is going to have the same life cycle. The expert who said that herd immunity is the best way to get rid of it, that vaccines are a terrible thing, that, you know, or not, I wouldn't say it, but it's probably not true. But, well, put it this way, I, can't, I don't want to say things that I can't back out, that vaccines, you know, in this case, you know, we're nowhere near as effective as the early treatments that uh, they didn't want to use. All these things we've known for years. But here's the proof of it, just in case anybody doubts it. Huh. Okay, here we go. The reaction to this virus has set a dangerous precedent. Every year, there are new strains of the flu, SARS, etc., that could cripple our economy if the incompetent and biased media politicized it. People die by the millions from infectious diseases. That is normal and unpreventable. Let me say that again. People die by the millions from infectious diseases. That is normal and unpreventable. It says, this is from the doctor who wrote this, I have been following uh, these virus pandemics for two decades since I became a Wall Street analyst and money manager. Isn't that interesting? Doctor and money. Good combination. He says, when I ran the entire healthcare portfolio for Merrill Lynch in 2005, it was the avian bird flu that mobilized us. In 2009 and 2010, under President Obama, a genuine safety hazard spread in the form of influenza subtype H1N1 or swine flu. The administration downplayed it as thousands of people died. The current COVID-19 is nothing like swine flu. It is far less virulent. In other words, far less deadly. Dr. Fauci failed to factor in the gravitas of his words when he spoke before Congress. (laughs) No, he didn't. He knew exactly what he was doing. He spoke irresponsibly. Well, that's true. And here we go. Dr. Fauci is not a policymaker. He is not a senior member of Homeland Security or the military. He is a basic science research nerd who gained fame with the HIV pandemic. He has since been running his fiefdom within the corrupt NIH for decades. The corruption of the NIH is beyond the scope of this essay. 
We'll take it up another time. He is a government bureaucrat who pushes papers and directs your taxpayer dollars to go to the same Ivy League schools year after year. Dr. Fauci has never been elected to anything. He has no leadership experience. That pretty much sums it up. Then it says, how is it then that such a non-leader was allowed to have such an impact on the United States and the world? If you want to blame Trump for something, this would be a fair criticism. Yeah, I have blamed him for it. Trump is yet again letting his cabinet run amok. Absolutely true. Actually, he says, it was Republican senators who got the Trump administration to make Fauci the face of the epidemic. It should be of no surprise that the inept Senate misled a clueless White House. Now President Trump is forced to deal with the hand dealt him. He could use jujitsu and go even crazier than the Democrats by shutting down the nation with a state of emergency. By doing so, he would then be able to take credit for preventing a deadly pandemic. Of course, there will be no way to disprove him. He can also take advantage of the false crisis and get some tax cuts passed. (laughs) So stay tuned to see how President Trump deals with the false pandemic uh, induced by Anthony Fauci. Then it says, update, one hour after posting this article, President Trump and Vice President Pence, who is another savory character, uh, sure seemed to demote demote Anthony Fauci on live TV with a new, better spoken, less hand-wringing, smart-as-hell woman doctor. I guess that would be uh, Dr. Burks. Just as bad as far as I'm concerned. Let me see now. Let me take a break for a couple minutes. Uh, I have a Newsweek loan here, which says the key to defeating COVID-19 already exists. We need to start using it. And that's Harvey Risch. So this was a little bit later. This was July 23rd. So this is a couple of months later. Um, And so Harvey Risch, I have been in contact personally. Great guy. Let me take a little break here and uh, and see what I can get here. My time down is 7.57. So again, we got to CJ's Wellness uh, Watch coming in, and at the uh, the nine the ten o'clock no the nine o'clock hour, the eight o'clock hour, I'm going to play um, a Quinn Studer interview. Um, Quinn's interesting. Quinn is uh, Quinn Studer is someone that came from uh, yeah a pretty decent background, but somewhere along the way he he became an alcoholic. He got over it. Uh, he also became very successful entrepreneur uh, here in Pensacola, Florida, which is the next town down from me in Milton. Uh, runs Sacred Heart, Ascension, uh, big medical industry, and does various other things. Um, but I had him on the show uh, back at WBY, and we were talking about Milton and talking about small towns and preservation and entrepreneurs and all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> it was a really fascinating interview. In fact, I have to get back in touch with him. It's been a while since I've, uh, I've done that. I've been kind of busy rebuilding uh, Action Radio after I was taken off the air at WBY uh, about six months after this interview uh, in uh, July of 2018, and then rebuilt uh, action radio on blog talk radio. And then when COVID hit and got totally censored, you know, I, I'm in my third rebuilding. <laughs> so I've rebuilt the, I've rebuilt action radio twice. Now we're on the third time trying to break through the censorship uh, and get to folks uh, like those at the, uh, the convention, the, the uh, legal convention in Atlanta saying, we've got the legislation you're looking for. It's already written and was written two years ago. And yet I'm having trouble doing that. So the, it never ceased to amaze me how the solutions can be right in, in front of people's faces and they'd rather, you know, raise complaints to an art form and just talk. Maybe they make more money doing that. I don't know. 7.59 is the time right now. 7.59. Let me write that down here, play a couple things for you, and I'll be back in a little bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. 
So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Greatcare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. 
please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right, I got caught doing stuff. <laughs> Let me uh, come back here and play you. Uh, let's, let's get back to the news uh, mode here. Actually, I got one more thing. I haven't played this for a while. So let's, let's get to this. Then I'll be, uh, then I'll be right back. And yeah, just a bit. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. back. I'm going to take a few more minutes to go over another article, and then I'll start uh, my interview. Uh, it's a WEBY replay. So WEBY was this amazing station. Uh, it's the reason I came to Milton, Florida from San Francisco, drove across the country four months after open heart surgery, you know, wildly overweight, <laughs> you know, in terrible shape. Um, but uh, I had to do it. it just, you know, I knew this was going to be a great opportunity. And it was for about a year and four months. Uh, oh, actually, let's see, July, year and six No, it was, it was, it was yeah, it was June or July. No, it was July. Um, so, yeah, I started in March. So, yeah, March, April, May, June, July. Yeah, four months. So, a year and four months of, of the best job I've ever had. It really was. That, well, it's right there with being a flight instructor. That was really fun, too, until I got tired of that. But I never got tired of doing uh, uh, radio at WBY. Anyway, uh, I was going to conventions. You know, we had national guests. I had a station uh, behind me. It was this incredible experience. And I got to meet a lot of amazing people uh, and bring them onto the show. One of those was Quinn Studer. And so Quint uh, is this uh, entrepreneur, like I say, he had, uh, had a rough part of his life, you know, recovered from that. And now is one of the biggest uh, business folks in Pensacola, Florida. And so I'll play that interview in just a little bit. It was fascinating. Um, but I got to send him it. It's part of the reason I'm doing these, uh, these replays is to send them to people and say, look, still here. <laughs> yeah. You know, but and this was, uh, these were all done before, before the two setbacks. The first one being uh, taken off the air at WBY and the second one uh, being the censorship from COVID, which a lot of folks are experiencing. I'm not unique in that. Uh, I'm not unique in, in uh, you know, losing my place at WBY. Everybody did. Um, that's kind of how that works. But uh, new owners, yeah, well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> probably the better, less said the less said the better. All right, so here's a, a Newsweek article. Newsweek actually has some pretty good stuff sometimes. And, and this one um, is an opinion piece by Dr. Harvey Risch, MD, PhD, professor of epidemiology, Yale School of Public Health. In other words, he's a lot more qualified and a lot smarter than uh, Dr. Fascist. And this was written 723, so that'd be July 23rd of 2020. And he says, as professor of epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health, I have authored over 300 peer-reviewed publications and currently hold senior positions on the editorial boards of several leading journals. I am usually accustomed to advocating for positions within the mainstream of medicine. So far, uh, have been, uh, uh, it says, so far have been flummoxed to find that in the midst of a crisis. 
He says, I'm fighting for a treatment that the data fully support, but which for reasons having nothing to do with a correct understanding of the science has been pushed to the sidelines. As a result, tens of thousands of patients with COVID are dying unnecessarily. Fortunately, the situation can be reversed easily and quickly. Let me just say that the title of this article, if you want to find it, the key to defeating COVID-19 already exists. We need to start using it. Again, Harvey A. Risch, who you've seen with the, the Senator uh, Ron Johnson hearings, uh, anything to do with COVID, you've probably seen him. But just, let me just uh, say this again. He says, I am fighting for a treatment that the data fully support, but which for reasons having nothing to do with a correct understanding of the science, that says Dr. Fascist, has been pushed to the sidelines. As a result, here we go, tens of thousands of patients with COVID-19 are dying unnecessarily. Fortunately, the situation can be reversed easily and quickly. I am referring, of course, this is continuing on the article. He says, I am referring, of course, to the medication hydroxychloroquine. When this inexpensive oral medication is given very early in the course of illness before the virus has had time to multiply beyond control, it has shown to be highly effective, especially when given in combination with the antibiotics azithromycin or doxycycline and the nutritional supplement zinc. On May 27th, I published an article in the American Journal of Epidemiology, that's the AJE, entitled Early Outpatient Treatment of Symptomatic High-Risk COVID-19 Patients. This is uh, Early Outpatient Treatment of, of Symptomatic uh, High-COVID-Risk-19 Patients that Should Be Ramped Up Immediately as Key to the Pandemic Crisis. Okay, that's a long title. That's what kind of threw me. Early Outpatient Treatment of Symptomatic High-Risk COVID-19 Patients that Should Be Ramped Up Immediately as Key to the Pandemic Crisis. He says that article published in the world's leading epidemiology journal analyzed five studies demonstrating clear-cut and significant benefits to treated patients plus other very large studies that showed the medication safety. That would be hydroxychloroquine. He says physicians who have been using these medications in the face of widespread skepticism have been truly heroic. Yeah, they're the good guys. Those are the, those are the folks that are on my show, right? The, the World's Greatest Doctors panel. He says they have done what the science shows is best for their patients often at great personal risk. I myself know of two doctors who have saved the lives of, thousands, of hundreds of patients, excuse me, hundreds of patients with these medications, but are now fighting state medical boards to save their licenses and reputations. The causes, the cases against them are completely without scientific merit. So in other words, it's not going against the science, it's going against the propaganda. It's going against the government doctrine. It's going against the protocol. It's going against death and the payment of death. So the doctors that actually saved lives were the ones who were losing the license. The doctors that killed people did just fine. See, that's the irony of COVID. This is why this is such an insane situation. The government created a situation where they stopped the cures, promoted the cause, you know, fired or got rid of the doctors who saved people, promoted the doctors who killed people, and paid them all huge amounts of money, including themselves. That's why this is a problem. He says, since publication of my May 27 article, seven more studies have demonstrated similar benefit. In a lengthy follow-up letter, also published by AJE, that'd be the American Journal of Epidemiology, I discuss these seven studies and renew my call for the immediate early use of hydroxychloroquine in high-risk patients. These seven studies include an additional 400 high-risk patients treated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko with zero deaths. Let's say that again. 400 high-risk patients treated by Dr. Zelenko with zero deaths. So, of course, you've got to discredit him, right? He's saving people. Then it said four studies totaling almost 500 high-risk patients treated in nursing homes and clinics across the U.S. with no deaths. Hmm. 
a controlled trial of more than 700 high-risk patients in Brazil with significantly reduced risk of hospitalization and two deaths among 334 patients treated with hydroxychloroquine. And another study of 398 matched patients in France, also with significantly reduced hospitalization risk. Since my letter was published, even more doctors have reported to me their completely successful use. He says, my original article in the American Journal of Epidemiology is available free online, and I encourage readers, especially physicians, nurses, physician assistants and associates, and respiratory therapists to search the title and read it. My follow-up letter is linked there to the original paper. So this guy talks to doctors. He's the one, you know, uh, you know he, this expert talks to the experts, <laughs> you know, uh, who then talk to you. And, it's, and yet he was completely discredited, and Dr. Fascist was promoted. Kill a million people, you get to be a hero on the left, <laughs> and then the deep state. Save people, and you lose your medical license. It's a fascinating world we live in. It's, everything's backwards. I'll just I'll make this my last article. I want to start my interview before uh, CJ gets here. Yeah, there's more. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll pick it up after. Uh, maybe I'll, we'll see. Anyway, this is my original. All right, there we go. My original article, all right, here we go. Beyond these studies of individual patients, we have seen what happens in large populations when these drugs are used. There, these have been natural experiments. In the northern Brazil state of Para, P-A-R-A, Para, COVID-19 deaths were increasing exponentially. On April 6th, the public hospital network purchased 75,000 doses of azithromycin and 90,000 doses of hydroxychloroquine. Over the next few weeks, authorities began distributing these medications to infected individuals. Even though new cases continued to occur, on May 22nd, the death rate started to plummet and is now about one-eighth what it was at its peak. Gee, what a surprise. But you haven't heard about that study for a while, if you ever heard about it at all. It says here, a reverse natural experiment happened in Switzerland. On May 27th, the Swiss national government banned outpatient use of hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19. Around June 10th, COVID-19 deaths increased fourfold and remained elevated. On June 11th, the Swiss government revoked the ban. And on June 23rd, the death rate reverted to what it had been beforehand. People who die from COVID-19 live about three to five weeks from the start of symptoms which makes the evidence of a causal relation in these experiments strong. Both episodes suggest that a combination of hydroxychloroquine and its companion medications reduces mortality and should be immediately adopted as the new standard of care in high-risk patients. I'm going to hold it there and play my interview, and then uh, uh, we can continue this uh, yeah, maybe with CJ, maybe tomorrow. We'll see. All right, so let me scroll down and do this. Uh, this, is, this is what I want to get on the record. Now, it's a little hard to hear at times. Uh, it's not the best phone connection. It's, um, but that's okay. Uh, I think it's well worth, uh, well worth playing and getting this on the record. Besides, I want to talk to Quint again. I haven't talked to him for several years, and it's about time. Let's adjust my volume correctly here. It tends to play a little bit too loud at first. All right, so sit back, stand by. Uh, let me play this for you. And at the top of the hour, we'll have CJ's uh, Wellness Watch. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Now, every once in a while, we get really lucky, and we have a very special guest. And so I think we're just going to get right to that and introduce him right now. He is a businessman, a visionary, an entrepreneur, a mentor to many, and extremely dedicated to the Northwest Florida community. I took this right from his website. You should recognize it. He has given his life to designing the building blocks for people and organizations that guide them to achieving and sustaining high performance. Please welcome my guest, Mr. Quint Studer. There you go, sir. How are you today? 
good. I was getting excited about what who your guest was. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of like a little game show intro. We do that. Everybody gets a gets a one time intro when you when you call in. So uh, very nice. It, I'm just really happy to have you here because I first saw you um, relatively recently at the uh, the waterfront um, mission luncheon that where you were the keynote speaker. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great. They do great work. They do great work. In fact, Paul Stadden's going to be on with me again next week. We'll talk about all the things that uh, that can happen there. But what I was interested, you're what I would call a business philosopher. So you've sort of gone beyond, you know, the charts and the numbers and the, the profit and loss stuff. And you really, you know, you're you're, you're motivator and, and a leader. And uh, I thought it was worth exploring. Well, thank you. Um, no, I'm uh, glad to be it. You know, we all will learn our life lessons. And I think all I try to do is sort of share what I've learned and, you know, when you have experiences, you, you learn things. When you get to my age, hopefully you learn things that work and things that don't work. And I've gotten very involved, as you know, in um, com- community revitalization. Is probably the most common used word when I, you go into any community is the word potential. You know, I've, I've not been to a community yet that says, you know, we really don't have any potential. <laughs> they, you know, they, they normally say we have such potential. But, you know, when I came to Pensacola in 1996, that's all I heard, potential. But people, you can't stop potential. Potential doesn't get you anywhere. You know, potential might be good, but unless you act on that potential and take some actions, you don't accomplish all that much. So um, that's sort of what I've been trying to learn. Because if you revitalize communities, you make lives better. And that's really the overalling arch of my company when I had it what I taught special education, working with, of course, recovering alcoholics and addicts. is We're all trying to maximize our, our human potential, which helps maximize, of course, the community's potential. Yeah. And I want to trace that a little bit in just a second. I want to give the phone number if anybody wants to call in, 850-623-1330. That's 623-1330. A rare chance to talk to somebody who is just fascinates me. And I've been reading your story. I've been going over your various uh, articles and uh, websites, and it's really quite interesting. So what I want to do is trace, trace a little bit your story from where you started, um, because you didn't come from, you know, you didn't come from money, you didn't come from, you know, 15 companies in the family that were given to you when you were 21. You had to work your way through. Yeah, I grew up in the west side of Chicago. My dad worked at a General Motors plant called Electromotive during the week, and then on weekends he worked at Pilot Brothers Jumpyard because he loved a duck hunt, duck hunt and um you know, that gave him that discretionary money. My mother at the time was, uh, you know, what just not uncommon in the 50s, was a stay-home mom with me and my older sister. And then when it looked like I was going to go into college. Yep, where'd he go? Here's a sister ah. in a nursery school. So that's what I did, and then I ended up uh, not doing well in high school but I was lucky enough to get into a college in Whitewater that did a lot of work with people with um, different needs. I'm hearing impaired, and I um, ended up being a special education teacher. I worked with special needs children for my first 10 years, mainly young adults, trying to find them into um, jobs, placing kids on jobs and go to a Wahoo game or anything. We really work hard at getting people with special challenges into the workplace. I'm hoping maybe we can do a, a show with maybe some of the players, uh, some Blue Wahoos here, and people can talk to their, their favorite players before the season starts. That would be kind of fun. That would be great. Yeah. Why special ed? Why did you go into that from college? Um, well, I think a couple of the main thing is when I was in high school, I, I think I always had an, uh, a 
vicinity or not, you know, I, I didn't like people getting picked on. I, I was one of these kids that didn't like people getting picked on, um, maybe because at times I felt I got picked on. I, but even like elderly people that made, I just had a lot of sensitivity toward that. So when I was in high school, my senior year, I had a couple study halls. If you had more than one study hall, if the teacher would let you, you could get out of one study hall, go into that teacher's classroom hmm. to help them. My soccer coach in high school was a fellow named John King. So he wrote a pass for me in every study hall, the second study hall, I'd go into his classroom. And basically, it was to take his students, and these were boys. We're losing you a little bit here. We're getting occasional gaps on on your phone. I don't know what's going on with it, but we're sort of missing words here and there. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, um, so what, what happened with um, Coach King, um, I would get out of study hall and, and go into his classroom. He would um, have me, after the bell rang, I would walk about four or five boys in his classroom to the library. Then I would sit with them all, pe- library period. Hmm. Then before the bell rang again, I would walk them back. And, and the reason was, back then, 1960s, um, these kids were classified as retarded. And it wasn't unusual in the classroom, in the hallways, for them to get teased or called names. And so we would transfer them when the rest of the kids weren't there. And when I got to college, they asked me what I wanted to major in. And I thought of Coach King, and I wanted to be a a teacher and actually a coach. I love sports. And then they said, what do you want to teach? And, you know, I'm academically can't spell very well. And I was, what can you teach if you can't spell very well? And all of a sudden, I said I wanted to be like Coach King, and they asked me what Coach King did, and I explained it to them, and they said, well, you want to be a special education teacher. So that's what I became. Interesting. Um, have you checked out dyslexic at all? Is that something that, that has, has caused you some of the reading problems maybe, or no? Or I don't spelling? think so. I think I, I can read pretty well. I think it was a combination of not hearing well, okay. and I also had a speech impediment. I still do, which means you can't pronounce certain words, and to grade reading level, and that's why I get a kick out of, you know, I've written books that a lot of very smart people read, and um, the doctor specifically will come up to me and say, you know, I read one of your books, and gosh, it was a great read. I read it in less than three hours, and I'm thinking, well, that's because it's at a 6.2 grade reading level. But, um, hey, I write books so people can read them, not so people are impressed with how smart the author is. So I think too many people are too hung up on fancy words, so I try to write as I talk, which is tried to be pretty simple, so it's understandable. Yeah, I'm seeing a pattern here already that your whole life has been uh, devoted to helping other people, and you don't think of yourself first. You think of what can you do to serve, and in serving other people, and coming up with new ideas and philosophies. And we'll get to that, you know, as we go. Uh, it's it's helped you, but but the main goal is to help uh, other folks and, and seeing what you can do for them. Yeah, and I'm, by the way, I think my wife might disagree with you on that. <laughs> Um, we had a talk yesterday over milk when I took some milk that she thought was maybe not. Anyway, it's a long story. But um, I, I think then, of course, you know, if you're at the Waterfront Mission, I'm a recovering alcoholic. In yeah. fact, I'll have 35 years of sobriety here in a couple weeks. Congratulations. The only way, thanks, well, <laughs> this, this, um, well, I appreciate that. But, yeah. you know, the whole message to be in recovery is to help other people. So I think that's ingrained in you in the recovery community that you're really here to be useful to others. And I just try to take the things I've learned in the recovery world 
into my um, daily life. And that's really what this is all about, is trying to be useful to other people. What does that teach you in recovery that you can use in daily life? Well, ego deflation, certainly. The first part of it is surrender. You know, you have to sit here and say, hey, you know, this isn't going well. My life's unmanageable. I can't handle this. And that deflation of ego is very hard. Um, I tell the story when I went to a psychologist. He gave me this Minnesota multi-personality inventory test, and he said, you know, there's a 90% chance you're an alcoholic, and I was so relieved to be in the 10% not <laughs> realizing wow. he was trying to tell me something. So I think it's a real deflation of ego that you, you've got to keep your ego deflated. and That's why I think the gift we get is the ability to admit we're wrong, the ability to say we made mistakes. Even today, the ability to amend after my um, the milk situation yesterday, and I apologized to my wife and said, you're right, I could have communicated this better, um, and, and so on. And um, I think a lot of people wouldn't do that. They'd tell you, you know, my, my wife's difficult, or I should find another woman, and blah, blah, blah. And I, so I think we really learn how to take, I, I guess one thing, Greg, I think the most important thing is that ability to see yourself as you are. And that's you know, true humility, is seeing your strengths and your weaknesses. So I think that's a big part of recovery, to be able to look at yourself in an objective viewpoint. And when you go to meetings on a regular basis, as other people talk, it just leads into a natural tendency for you to say, ah, you're right, or they're right. I'm, You know, you relate to them. They're going through this. They're going through that. Ah, that could be me. So I, I think you get a humility, being able to see yourself as you are. Two, a bit willing to admit mistakes. Three, I think you're really out to, to help other people. And probably the greatest gift I've been given is the fact that you get to enjoy other people's success. I, I think before I got into recovery, I was more jealous of other people's success. And we, you know, somebody can come up and get a 30 or medallion coin for being sober for 30 days. And, you know, I'm as excited and happy for them as maybe they are for themselves. So those are just some of the lessons that I think you learn along the way, and particularly the ability to promptly admit when we are wrong. And I think that holds a lot of people up, Greg. I think we get a lot of caught in this country that people are terrified to say, I changed my mind. You know, it's a little different than I thought. Um, I think all of us, but particularly public officials, I think get in a rough boat because they do have new information and change their mind. They're ridiculed. I think that's why we get some of this polarization that we have. Yeah, I want to talk about the, the sort of bring this into the, the tax uh, cut thing of, as because people are are like they're, they're, there's a class envy going on. In other words, we have to tax the rich. We have to they have more than I have, so I don't want them to have that. So I want them to have a greater tax rate. Do you see that the, like the personal envy being transferred to the national level? Oh yeah, and and I also think in, in the recovery, one of the things they comment a lot about is um, a, a comment and I can't remember who the philosopher was, but he said the sure way to keep ourselves in darkness is to have contempt prior to investigation. Yeah. And I think so many people jump. They hear a sound bite, but they hear one thing, and they jump to that, and they haven't even, haven't even looked at it. You know, it's sort of fun in the recovery community. I'll have people come into recovery, and one of the things they'll do after a meeting is come up to me and say, you know, I really owe you an apology. I've been really... Um, saying some nasty things about you, and I didn't know who these people are. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, I think we get caught up. You know, 
sort of uh, I look at in my viewpoint when they start looking not at percentages, but there's a small group of people that pay about 80% of the taxes in the United States of America. So when people used to say to me, the rich don't pay taxes, I would say, why don't you come look at my tax return? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you, know? It, it, you can see it. And, and that's the thing, too, is you, you can't give tax breaks to people that don't uh, – you know, they aren't paying. But I'm just thinking that the whole idea of uh, is that this almost this prejudice against business. If we give business a tax break, then uh, then they'll be rich and do all the things that they want to do. Whoever those people are, when they talk about the sort of the universal they. But the thing is, people don't realize that if you you know with the taxes that lower, the cost of production gets lower, the cost of goods gets lower, more people can be hired, and it's sort of like the the whole effect of that isn't isn't seen. And with your organization, do you, do you see that kind of transferring through, or the people you've talked to, in small business, large business? Is, is it still based on envy, or what's going on? Well, I think in small business, I think somehow, you know, it's like it's like when you talk to a young entrepreneur, and because of my role at UWF and, you know, entrepreneur in residence, you have a lot of young people that just, just because they look at Facebook or they look at somebody who did an app and sold it for millions, mm-hmm. they just assume, you know, that that's going to happen or that's it. And, you know, and, uh, when people say to they, and I think that's one of the big, you know, we allow people to generalize, right? When somebody will say to me, they, I'll say, can you tell me who they are? Yeah. Um, I'm still looking for who the good old boys are, um, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I always say, well, what, can you tell me who said that? Can you tell me who they, they are? Um, you know, sometimes elected officials even use this to hide behind. They'll say, my constituency. And they say, well, how many people have you talked to? Um, I'm getting a lot of emails. Well, how many have you gotten? So I, I think we use generalization without um, investigation. And I always say you have to diagnose a little bit. And I think and I was really thought that was a great evening at Imaging Theater. And, you know, one of the questions that I got was, you know, what should we do with the courthouse that's going to be empty? And yeah. we could see already people were deciding on what we should do. And said, well, you know, in one of my books I wrote, you know, people always diagnose before you treat. When you go to a doctor, they just say, here's what you do. They say, well, let me take a lab test. Let me take an X-ray. Um, when somebody comes into your house and you've got a problem, they, they say, well, let me check this out, check that out. And I said, you know, we'll get it appraised. And when you get it appraised, it's going to tell you something. It's going to tell you what it's worth if you keep it, what it's worth if you demolish it. But the main thing is what can go in its place that pays taxes. But instead of getting in a big fight over what it should be, find out what the value is as it is or as it gets removed, and then you really know what it's worth. In one of my books, I tell the story. A fellow came up to me. He's very upset because he was losing his company. He was going to go to the bank, and he said, my, he got an offer he thought was lower. He said, you know, my company's worth more than this. And I just say, it really isn't. It's sort of what somebody's willing to pay. And I, I think we... Just get caught up in jumping to opinions and getting hardline stances, Greg, before we've spent a little time. So I think most of these people that say the taxes favor this, the taxes favors that, they're just reacting to sound bites and probably haven't really done the research. Yeah. I want to talk more about uh, imaging when we come back because we have to take a break right now. And this is the, one of the main things that I wanted to talk to you about because I love the historic district of downtown Milton, and I see I see potential there too. But as Einstein said, you know, if you're going to get something done, it's it's two percent inspiration, ninety eight percent perspiration. So you got to do the work. And so let's yep. uh, let's take a little break. We'll be back with Quinn Studer. We'll be back in just a little bit. Greg Penglis here, and I'll be right back. Here it comes. Here it comes. 
special guest here, Quinn Studer, 826 here um, on, uh, on the Action Radio Hour. And so this is your chance to talk to to, uh, to Quinn Studer, who talks to the people that are uh, uh, going to be working with uh, with downtown Milton, with the historic district there. So the number here is 623-1330, area code 850-623-1330. I want to bring uh, Quinn back on. And just uh, um, especially just, uh, if I could take one building, the Imaging Theater. Which is my my personal favorite there. The sign half the sign doesn't uh, light up. Uh, Kyle, the manager, showed me how the trucks going by are crumbling some of the mortar. We're losing this beautiful building. You've got the the, the courthouse there, which is going to be moved. But uh, like I say, I just see uh, this amazing historic area, and it's now classified as endangered. So so what happened in your meeting? What did you guys talk about? And did you have any recommendations uh, or at least direction for people to uh, to take uh, the downtown area? Well, a couple things. First of all, I think. <clears throat> Some of the people in Milton have done such a nice job. Uh, you know, one of the challenges we I find in Pensacola is confusion and inconsistency with the elected officials. And I think when you look at Milton, you've got some good zoning. You've got some uniform codes. You've got some, I think, really solid things in, in place. Now, in any community, and this isn't Milton, this is just research that I've been heavily involved in finding and now I have a book coming out next year on creating a vibrant community, a blueprint. Here's basically four things that every uh, community must do if it's going to be vibrant. Um, and there, there's four things for downtowns, and then there's two things that don't include downtowns. And if you have time, Greg, I can walk through those. Sure, right. we got the rest of the half hour. And, of course, you're welcome to come back anytime. If you have something you want to talk about, just let me know, and, uh, and I can get you on the air fairly quickly. Well, thank you. The Gallup did a poll. Um, and uh, did some research in the, about 2003, four, and they came out with a thing called Soul of the Cities, and why do some cities grow and some don't? And here are their points. Number one is you have to make sure you know which companies um, attract revenue from outside of your community and are located in your community. Cause these are the communities that are most valuable. Cause they're bringing revenue from other areas and spending it in the community. So those are ones you have to pay careful attention to because they don't make revenue inside the community, it's easy to move. Second of all, what can you do to help startup companies that have potential? How can you get them capital? Because if they don't have capital, they won't make it or they'll go to a place with capital. And the third thing they said in their study was every community needs to have a vibrant downtown. And people, so it's not just that Oh, you know, Quint Studer favors downtown. Well, no, downtown is a tactic that helps everyone in the community. And the reason is taxes, cities are usually have more density in them. So your tax dollars are more dense, which means if you go up three or four stories or two stories, um, you know, your tax dollars are there, more so than a big box building somewhere. And they talk about the fact that vertical growth helps suburban sprawl. And it's all about financial policy in the community also. So we asked what, and they also said there's two types of people, really all types, but two types of people particularly that want downtowns. If you look at the Black Friday, it was pretty interesting because downtown stores across the country and online shopping did quite well. Malls struggled. So people are either going to go online or they want that experience you know, neighborhood, downtown, walking experience. So he said the, the gallops of the four elements of a vibrant downtown are you have to program it. And if you look at Pensacola, one of the things that's been increased over the years is really activity down there. You know, from farmer's market 
to gallery night, to foo-foo fest, to, you know, you name it. And I tell people from out of town, I, I don't know what will be going on, but I know something will be going on almost every weekend. And so you have to get people downtown. That's step one. And then sometimes they're not, people aren't going to invest big dollars if there's no people. You know, people sometimes think, well, we need these stores down here. Well, stores are looking for people. So if you can get people downtown, then the next three parts of this downtown, vibrant downtown are retail and entertainment. Of course, when people are downtown for the events, it's nice that they can go shop, that they can go eat. People then start saying, you know, I like coming down here, and, and gee, it wouldn't be bad to have an office down here. You need office space, but the thing you have to be careful of, Greg, in, in communities, mm-hmm. when retailers start shutting down, the people that own those buildings, of course, are concerned because they've got, you know, mortgages to pay. So they'll rent their first floors to something that doesn't create foot traffic. Lawyers, architects, you know, people that don't create a lot of foot traffic. These aren't bad people, but they shouldn't be on the first floor of a downtown. So the less traffic you have, then the other businesses go out of business, and all of a sudden you have a dead downtown, and it's almost become more of a, a glorified office space than than an active downtown. So you got to get retail and entertainment down and move your offices upstairs if you can or some out a little bit. Then the, you need that office space, but in different types of office space. You know, when we built our new office building downtown Pensacola, everybody said, well, no one's going to rent that. That's too expensive. Well, the first nice new office space in 30 years, we found not only did people rent it, we had to add another floor and build another building now because of it. And probably the the key thing, Greg, when this all comes down is attracting residents downtown. Number one, that allows those um, entrepreneurs, those early people with the stores and so on, um, ending just on an event. And if you had to do it, you'd, you'd almost, if you could get residential first, life is good. The problem is you won't get the residential unless there's something to do. So it's really a, a tough game because if you don't get residential pretty quickly, all these startups, stores, don't financially make it. And then they start closing and then you have the rotation. So um, that's what I talked about. No, no getting the downtown moving, and, and, you know, the debate over what to do with the road. And I said, no matter what happens with the road, you still need a vibrant downtown. Yeah. Well, my concern with the road, like I say, is when I, I see the historic buildings, you know, there's a little bit of the mortar isn't doing too well with the constant vibration uh, of the traffic. we well, got to slow traffic down. Yeah. And, you know, you have, to, you have to think of a downtown at 5 miles per hour, not 25 or 40 miles per hour. Any, any downtown that's been successful has started slowing traffic down, actually reducing lanes. They don't add lanes. They actually will probably, they, if maybe if they have four lanes, they'll go back to two and use one lane for parking and one lane for bikes. Hmm. Um, in Janesville, Wisconsin, where we're very familiar with, you know, their downtown had two one-way streets. They called it the circuit. It was great if you were 16 years old. You know, everybody rode the circuit, but nobody wanted to stop downtown. And they went and changed their one-way streets back to two-way, which is what happened in Palafox years ago. Okay. So you've got to slow traffic down, and it's really hard to have an active downtown, whether it be Gulf Breeze, Florida with Highway 98, Navarre with Highway 98, Fort Walton or Milton, if you've got a busy street plowing right through it. It's just yeah. really more challenging. Yeah, 
I'm wondering too if the uh, the city council or, or the the officials uh, are making are not quite as business friendly as they could be. And one case study I know the Brew Angels Cafe they couldn't um, they they wanted to to brew craft beer, but uh, the city made them open up a, a restaurant first, so they had to devote devote all their resources away from what they wanted to do and probably what they did best. Uh, and then had to, uh, to to create a huge kitchen and a huge restaurant, and then at some point in the future get to what they want to do, which is brewing the beer. And so do you think people can interfere too much with businesses and, and kind of stifle the business growth that way? Well, I think that happens in every community. It happened to us in Pensacola. We had a, a building, and we wanted a bike shop. A bike shop is pretty cool, you know, downtown. They rent oh, yeah. bikes. People go down and ride bikes. And the bike shop wanted to put their bike course on the first floor and they wanted to put some things on the second floor and the city said no 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 you can't put anything on the second floor unless you have an elevator because people need to get up to the elevator now remember we're talking about i i don't know how many people that that need an elevator are going to buy a bike to ride but um <laughs> so, and and the, the, exactly the people the, the people said um well what if we put it up there but then if people want it we can bring it back down instead of spending seventy five to hundred thousand dollars on an elevator. They said, nope, no, no, gotta have an elevator. So we lost a bike shop that could have came downtown. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think you've got to have you gotta have rules and they certainly need rules on zoning. You know, what can go there, what can't go there. Okay. You certainly want to be ABA as much as you can. We're so, you know, I tell that side of the story, but if you look at our stores, we're the only one of the only stores that have buttons on the outside, the inside so people can automatically open the door that have difficulty. So you need guidelines, you need form codes, you need all these things. But then you've got to be pretty loose, you know, and, and you're looking at Hartford, Connecticut this week, voted to change parking requirements. One of the first things that has to change is parking requirements. When you say to a store or a business you have to have this many parking spots for this many square foot, what you end up then is not a vibrant downtown because you end up with actually too much parking. Mm. And I think people complain. You know, people park a block and a half from a mall. They'll walk all through the mall. Yet when they come downtown, they want to park right next to a building. It's kind of like when we built the new Y downtown, everybody wanted close by parking to the new Y so they can walk in it and work out and get in shape. <laughs> I know. It's a great thing. Or when you see like a donut shop next to a gym, that always cracks me up too. We need yeah. to take another break. We've got to take a break. And when we come back, I want to get so I want to combine what we talked about earlier, you know, your, your philosophy and what you learned from recovery and apply that to business and government talking to each other to make like a better community. So we'll do that when we come back. 836 sure. here. Thank you. My guest, Quinn Studer. We'll be right back in just a little bit. And it's 837 here on 1330 WBY. So normally I'd let this one go on longer, but we have so much to do. We'll get started. There we go. All right. Anyway, I'm going to take uh, right to my, my guest here in just a bit here. It's 840 here on, uh, on the Action Radio Hour. I'm Quinn Studer is my guest. All right, let's get back to uh, Quinn Studer. Obviously, you have to come back because I only have like the first quarter of my questions done. No, I, I, hey, years ago I was on your station actually quite a bit, so huh? it's great to be back, and it's, again, so great to get to know the, the people from Milton better, and um, I just had a, such a great time when I was up there at the, the theater up there, so uh, um, I agree with you. Um, I always remember going to Adventures Unlimited about two years ago and going through Milton and thinking what a what a cool little community this is, and I think it 
I think it can be, and I think it will be. I think you have a lot, a lot of people pulling in the right direction. And one of the things I talked about in Milton a little bit was people might not like past decisions, but sometimes when the decisions are made, you got to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I went to a seminar one time on how do cities move forward, and it said they actually sometimes don't get consensus. Consensus means that everybody's unhappy, but it seems like the people that don't get the way um, then will consent to say, hey, I, I didn't like it, but as long as we're moving in that direction, I'll do everything I can to still make it successful because I want the community to benefit. And I find at least what I've seen is sometimes the people on the, the end where they didn't get their way just just so angry, um, they don't consent. So, you know, the course house, I guess, is, is going to move from everything I understand. So now what do we put in its place that can really make downtown Milton spectacular, I think, should yeah. be the question. Yeah, and I want to get back to a question I was thinking earlier. Just in general, business, you know, people, they want to make a profit. They want to be successful. They want to create something. Government people, it's, it's more controlling. They want to manage. They want to, uh, you know, like you were saying before, they, to, to win, you know, the, the, the argument sort of thing. I'm trying to think, how can business and government people, just what you've learned about leadership and in general uh, and, and from recovery and just interpersonal communications, how can they talk better to each other and work stuff out? Well, I think, I think first, this might sound a little crazy. I think too many times private industries looking for public government officials to be the leaders, and I don't think they're positioned to be the leaders. Okay. I think basically if you look at public officials, one, they have, they have go through elections, so they're worried about you know their elections, their re-elections. Um, number two, they have limited financial wherewithal. You know, they're spending, I wish, more elected officials would be more conservative because I get a little frustrated because I think sometimes you know, they have to realize you're spending taxpayers' money, yeah. not your money. Yeah. I, I wanted to have cities pass a law that if a elected official creates a lawsuit and loses, they pay the legal bills personally instead of the taxpayers. So I, I think everything gallops this. I think private industries got to really be be the more leaders. Um, you know, Chuck Marone has been coming in and talking, and I encourage people to go to a website called Strong Towns. Because before 19, World War II, the private sector led, then the public sector came in with the infrastructure. And then after World War II, we started doing all this big infrastructure, open private investment came. And I know if you look at downtown Pensacola, uh, when I look at what we, the, the, public, the, the government has done, they've put in excuse me, two retention ponds. The rest of it's all been done by private investment. Hmm. But I think what government needs to do is get the, the private investors confident enough that, that, they can, you know, that they're going to be easy to work. What do private investors want? They want clear guidelines. They don't want to be involved in a political quagmire. Um, and they want consistency and, you know, and responsiveness. You know, make, make it easy. And I think... That's what it has. I, I really think it's, it's private. When private industry takes a little more of a lead, then you really see what, what's going on. So I think as far as conversation, you know, if you look at it, it's so much a personality thing. I think in, um, I personally get along quite well with most government officials, but I certainly don't with all of them. Um, and normally when we have disagreements in Pensacola, it's over inconsistency. Hmm. So I think government has to be consistent. Government has to get their own act together. But I really think, you know, if we look at where where change comes, it's, it's when um, 
private investment can come in. But looking at Janesville, Wisconsin, which, you know, sort of to have a Milton, Wisconsin right by it, too, is, you know, what government helped there tremendously was changing the two-way streets to one-way streets. So those roads are vital, government controls. Number two, they had an old parking ramp that was over a river. So here you have this beautiful river going downtown, but people can't enjoy it because there's a parking ramp over it. They spent about $300,000 getting that parking ramp taken out. But since then, and with them, they've gotten, you know, probably 4 or $5 million of private investment. So that, that's the collaboration. And I think what we're doing in Escambia and Santa Rosa County, I encourage your listeners to go to Civicon at the Pensacola News Journal and look at the um, speakers we've had. We've had Chuck Marone twice, and now January 16th we have Senator Bob Graham coming. And he's talking exactly, Greg, what you talked about is how to have more civic conversations. So January 16th, I encourage your listeners to take a ride down to Pensacola Little Theater and hear Senator Bob Graham. Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, get you all these websites. I'll talk to the folks who I've been communicating with to get you on the air, and we'll get some of these websites posted to our uh, our Facebook page. Uh, I get sort of a big philosophy question, um, just to change the subject a little bit, because you do a lot, uh, and we're not going to really have time to explore you know Intercon as much as I want some of the other things. But you went through a process where you be, you went from you know employee mentality to entrepreneur mentality. So there's like a shift that goes on where you think that you can do it, you can progress, and you can um, you know this is like a process that goes through. I wanted to kind of trace that. We don't have time to do that in the show today, but I want to, we got to take one more break right now, unfortunately. But uh, we want to take that, and then when we come back, if you can kind of trace your development from from being you know when you first thought of yourself as an employee to an entrepreneur when you what what does it take to do that what kind of courage what kind of uh, uh thing does it get to do that and we'll do that as soon as we come back sound good Look forward right, to it. so let's take a little break here where's where's my uh my wonderful producer and then we'll be right back in just so this is our last break we'll be right back well this is pretty All this wonderful Christmas music. I want to be able to listen to it. We'll have to play this one again tomorrow. There we go. Quinn, my favorite story of Christmas was I used to play tuba, and I went to Tuba Christmas with Harvey Phillips and Rockefeller Center in New York. 600 tuba players. That was fun. We got them there? Hello. Uh, back to the question I had um, earlier. Becoming an entrepreneur, I mean, we all hear about people doing that, but we hear about the exterior. I'm curious about the interior. What development do you go through personally uh, to sort of gear yourself from, from an employee kind of orientation to, to having the courage to be an entrepreneur? How does that process work? Well, it's hard. I talk about that all the time, you know, because I, I was in two jobs, healthcare and education, which are pretty secure. I think that the key driver is the passion. I think most entrepreneurs I meet with, and I have 142 of them I meet with every 90 days in in roundtables that we do through Studer Community Institute, the one thing they all have in common is passion. Now, passion doesn't mean extrovert, but it means they're relentless. And I think you have to be relentless, whether you're um, an entrepreneur with your own company. So here's what I find, Greg. Mm-hmm. I find most of the people that are entrepreneurs were sort of an entrepreneur first. Even in their own, even when they were working for someone else, they were trying to figure out a better process. You know, like yourself in a radio station. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're an on-air personality, you're also thinking about, well, how do we get sales out there? How do we run the process better? That's the, the entrepreneur. While they're working for another company, they have an entrepreneur mindset. 
the non the non entrepreneur is pretty much goes to work, comes back, does a nice job, but he's not totally saying how do I make this better, how do I grow this company. So I I think they think very much along uh, making things better. How do they do it? And then I think they have a a real how can I say this, but they understand they need to create revenue streams. And, and an entrepreneur is looking for not like to my passion about what I do, but I do understand to feed my family. I've got to create revenue streams, which has an unintended consequences, Greg. When I work with companies, um, and I do all this for free, I'm a community volunteer. But when I work for a company or work with companies, because they're so worried about making payroll, they do so many things that sometimes they lose their scope. Like you mentioned, am I a craft brewery? Am I a restaurant? Am I a catering agency? What am I? And then they lose that focus. So I, I think most entrepreneurs, Greg, are entrepreneurs first. They sit in a company all the time. How can I make it better? How can I grow it? How can I fix processes? And one day you just sort of step out, and it's scarier than heck. And Tommy Duncan, who was at Octacon, put a slide up. He said the best way to start a business is really don't spend a lot of time diagnosing it and i wondered well that doesn't make any sense and they said because if you did you probably wouldn't do it <laughs> it's interesting. Um, you know because 80 percent of all small businesses fail within the first year yeah. and out of those that make it 80 percent of those fail within five years so when milton starts he continues to build small businesses it's not just helping them get open then it's providing services to these small businesses on how to get better we try to do that through Studer Community Institute. Again, we, we offer roundtables. We offer courses, you know, how to hire, how to fix processes, you know, how to do your back end, um, how to let people go because that one bad employee can, you know, if you've only got four employees and one of them bad, that means 25% of your workforce is bad. So I think it's in the book Coming Jobs War by Jim Clifton, it's not just starting a business. You've got to provide mentorship to the entrepreneur because they're usually good in in being good technically at what they're doing. You know, so I'm opening craft beer thing because I'm a craft beer, but I might not be good at management and sales. So you've got to come in and help plug those gaps when they're little because they don't have the dollars to do so. Would that sort of philosophy work within companies? So if you have a manager who's a motivator, who creates entrepreneurs within the staff, they feel more freedom to, to do things? Or do you find businesses more restrictive? It's like, this is the way we've always done it. We're going to keep doing it this way. Well, the former are the ones that are successful. The latter are the ones who will not make be successful. Okay. And you have to create that work environment where people feel like owners. You know, people, um, yes, the other day at the Blue Wahoos, we had a, um, you know, a service recovery issue. And one of the managers wrote me and said, what do you think we should do? And I called her up and I said, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a manager and I have confidence in you. Tell me the solution. What do you think we should do? Because that's where we have to get to. Yeah. Not so what does Clint think we should do? What do you think we should do? So you, but it was a coaching, you know, trying to get her to say, okay, what is the solution? What should we do? And I believe in service recovery. You knock their stocks off. You give them something more than they even expected. Mm. You know, you don't just fix the problem. You fix it and go above and beyond because you can turn a mistake in a customer service issue to a huge win. But it's not something that happens naturally. A manager has to, you know, coach employees. I think most business owners or managers or leaders, if they see themselves as people developers first, they'll probably be way more successful. 
Yeah, we only have about a minute left. First of all, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. And if you have any contact information or any last thing you want to uh, uh, say here at this time, and then uh, I'm just going to have to have you back. I mean, we just have too much to talk about. Thank you again. Well, thank you. My email is quint at quintstuter.com, and my cell phone number is 850-232-4648. Any way I can be helpful or anybody has questions or so on, you know, drop me an email or, or give me a call. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a call because, or drop an email because what I'm trying to do here is turn talk radio into action radio, and that's my vision. And, and uh, I don't want to get into I it right it. now. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Cause I love it. Well, the audience is going to be a citizen legislature. My website is writeyourlaws.com. I'm going to send you that. Um, you know, I see that. You've, got, you've done it ten times. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so what do you think then? I think it's exactly what needs to happen. I think we've been waiting for government to lead too long and citizens want to be engaged. I know we're running out of time. When we brought Chuck Marone here to talk about creating strong towns, yeah. I was hoping we'd get 100 people. We had 450 people show up at the meeting, and we had 4,000 people watch it on live stream. Wow. That shows to me people want to be engaged. So one of the things I think we have to do in a community, just like Imaging Theater, I thought I was going to go up there and talk to six people. we got about five seconds left. Only. Yeah. Listen, we got to go. Uh, I'll be talking to you about right. this soon. I need your advice. <laughs> and when that show ended, it ended. <laughs> this is this is the tape I got from my from my old show. Okay, let's bring it back up to present day now. Action Radio, dangerously cool. So the interview I just played was Quinn Studer, and he had some amazing words for Milton, but not just for Milton, but for any town, any historic town, any town that wants a vibrant downtown. Uh, it's all the same, and we still have this big debate going on uh, in our town here that they're, the folks that don't live here want to have a four-lane expressway through the town so they can get from one side to the other faster, even though we have a perfectly good freeway, I-10, alternate routes, things like that. But uh, they don't care. They want to go the way they want to go, and they want to go right through our town, uh, which would be suicide for Milton. And so what Quinn has said and Chuck Marin of Strong Towns has said, and basically anybody that knows how to develop a vibrant uh, tourist um, downtown, is you reduce the lanes of traffic, you reduce the speed of traffic, you have as much retail and, and foot traffic generating things as possible, you have residential people live downtown, you put the offices on the second and third floor, you know, you go to any city. The ground floor of any office building, that's where the retail stores are. Well, that generates the foot traffic, right? So it's all the same stuff. You know, we have this perfectly good river. We should be using that more. We have a boat ramp we could use. We have all these wonderful things here. And it's not just our town. The, the reason I play these interviews uh, is that, first of all, they're great to get, you know, on the record here because they'll never be heard again otherwise. That's, that's the first and most important reason. The second reason is that they do apply not just to our town here of Milton, Florida, but uh, all across the country. Anybody that has a historic town. You look at Charleston. You look at uh, uh, San Francisco. You look at... Um, and, you know, any historical place has areas that are – San Antonio has walkable areas, has a vibrant downtown or at least a tourist section. Look at the smaller towns where I grew up in Lexington, you know, easily walkable. Um, San Francisco, despite the fact it's a big city, you know, seven miles by seven miles has some incredibly walkable areas and it has a great mass transit system to get to them. It's one of the, the places that mass transit works best because San Francisco is a grid. And every other street has a bus or a trolley or, or something, and BART runs out of the city. You can get anywhere in San Francisco. Um, but, it, I mean, it doesn't work in the rural areas, obviously, <laughs> you know, the, the whole high-speed rail, things like that. But in cities and concentrated areas with lots of people, you know, mass transit works really well. 
So whatever's appropriate, that's what you do. And what's appropriate for Milton and small towns is as few lanes as possible, traffic going as slowly as possible, uh, have parking, yes, but what really you need is foot traffic. And we have this perfectly good um, old course uh, that the courthouse has moved. So now we can turn that into the courthouse market with gourmet restaurants and crazy hat shops and, uh, you know, maybe some offices and some other thing, convention center. I mean, any number of things could be done there. And we, all we need here is a vibrant downtown and a good boat dock. We've got a river. We've got a road. We've got the most amazing stuff here. We've got Pensacola nearby. We've got airports nearby. Uh, we have all the facilities you could want for, for Milton to boom into this incredible town. All right, I got CJ on the line. I want to just hold her up for another minute. I want to finish this article. I probably should have finished it when I started it. Uh, I, my timing was a little bit off. And so I started my interview just a couple minutes too early. But the article, and CJ might find this interesting too. Uh, this is by Harvey Risch. Uh, CJ, I know you're listening, like I say. So what I did uh, early on was I took uh, the original COVID articles from the early months of 2020 and just talked about them. This one's slightly later. This is July 23rd of 2020. Harvey Risch, the well-known uh, epidemiologist, uh, professor of epidemiology. So he teaches the epidemiologists, right, uh, from the Yale School of Public Health. And so what he said, uh, well, I'll, I can summarize it in a little bit, but the, the, the only section I missed was on hydroxychloroquine. And he's talking about early cures. I mean, the way to, to do it is not the way that they were doing it, not the way that Dr. Fascist was doing it. I mean, all kinds of other things could have been done. And so what he said about hydroxychloroquine, just to get this you know, on the record, as they say, um, is that he said really clearly, this is clearly, he says, uh, first, start again, deep breath, <laughs> talking too fast, I do that. Uh, why has hydroxychloroquine been discarded? He says, first, as we all know, the medication has become highly politicized. For many, it is viewed as a marker of political identity on both sides of the political spectrum. Nobody needs me to remind them that this is not how medicine should proceed. We must judge this medication strictly on the science. When doctors graduate from medical school, they formally promise to make the health and life of the patient their first consideration without biases of race, religion, nationality, social standing, or political affiliation. Lives must come first. Second, the drug has not been used properly in many studies. Hydroxychloroquine has shown major success when used early in high-risk people, but as one would expect for an antiviral, much less success when used late in the disease course. Even so, it has demonstrated significant benefit in large hospitals in Michigan and New York City when started within the first 24 to 48 hours after admission. In fact, as inexpensive oral and widely available medications and a nutritional supplement, the combination of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, or doxycycline, and zinc are well-suited for early treatment in the outpatient setting. The combination should be prescribed in high-risk patients immediately upon clinical suspicion of COVID-19 disease without waiting for results of testing. Delays in waiting uh, before starting the medications can reduce their efficacy. Um, it goes on, but let me just put that, I'll, I'll get that on the record because I want to get to CJ. But um, yeah, so that's what we're dealing with. Um, so CJ, just to get you caught up where we're in the show, um, when you came out, I was still playing an interview, but uh, the first hour of the show, I was talking about all the early treatments uh, and all the early thoughts and the fact that everybody knew COVID was going to be exposed to the whole population. Congress was briefed on that. Um, and all the, the studies that uh, doesn't matter what you do, lockdowns or not, you know, the virus is going to have the same course. And everything they're doing now preserves COVID rather than gets rid of it. it was, I, I thought it was quite a fascinating hour. That the, the whole point was that the truth was out there. This is the title of the show today. The truth was out there. The truth was always out there. It's just that it got suppressed and, and taken away. But if you looked, you could have found it. 
on that note, mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of a, of a big role here. <laughs> so you're live. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to comment on that or I know you have other topics to talk about, but um, it's been interesting, you know, walking down memory lane and finding out just how many people and how many sources were saying everything the government was doing was wrong. And yet they all disappeared after a while. You just didn't hear them. They all got suppressed. They all got, you know, kicked out of the, of the public uh, view. And so they could uh, maintain mm-hmm. a narrative and, uh, you know, kill a million people. Good morning. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I agree with you as far as what you were talking about in relation to the hydroxychloroquine without mm-hmm. a doubt. Um, yeah. You know, and we all know that the protocol that was suggested is, is, you know, wrong and what happened with all that. So I, I think some of the information that was suppressed before, <laughs> unfortunately, right, daylight dollar short is now yep. coming out to where, um, people that may not have been acknowledging that these things worked are now trying to backpedal a, a little bit, you know? Um, and so, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, I think everybody, even now, you know, know I guess knowing the power behind hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and all the things, there mm-hmm. should be no reason why everybody should not have those things in their toolbox at home, like right now. Yeah. Yeah, part of the reason you know. I'm doing it, or quercetin, if, you, if you're in a place where you can't get prescription hydroxychloroquine, um, but uh, I think part of the reason I do this is I know what's going to happen. I know these can, people are going to come out and say, well, we didn't know. We, we, we thought we were doing the right thing. We were following the science. And I want this show on the record before that happens so that we can say, yes, you did know. And here are the sources. Right. And I've got many of them. And I, I went through about five to six. I've, I've lost count. I think it was about five articles in the first hour, all of which said what you're doing is wrong. Lockdowns don't work. The disease has, has a natural course. Uh, herd immunity is the best thing you want. You know, don't close everything down. Uh, Fauci caused a panic. You know, he's got a long history of doing everything wrong. And these, these articles were all between, you know, March, mostly March and April of 2020. I've got a whole five. I've got like 50 articles, you know, disproving everything right. the government was doing and saying what was wrong. And I keep them just for this reason, because it's going to come out sooner or later. You know, as this goes, as people start to put, uh, you know, Dr. Fascist on the stand, for those that don't know, that's Anthony Fauci. Um, when they finally get him to Congress and right. start asking questions, are they going to ask the right questions? And is he going to say, well, yeah, you know, we, we thought we were doing the right thing, but we, we didn't know. You know, I just, I was just following the science. At least I thought what the science was. You know, you can't blame me. And I know that's going to happen. He's just going to try and weasel out of it. But sorry, <laughs> you know, we've already made the case right. that he's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my thought. Exactly. Yeah. Do you remember those days? Exactly. Do you remember those days back 2020? Yeah. It's not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, was your... It's not, it's, it's, it seems like it's gone by so fast, but sometimes we have to think back and be like, man, mm-hmm. all the stuff that we've been through in the past three years, right? Yeah. It's a different it's world now. Ridiculous. Yeah, it like is. 9-11 changed this, so. and, uh, and this changed this. And now I, I think it made those of us who were initially skeptical and resistant absolutely hardcore, you know, resistant and skeptical. Right. Um, and, or right. you went the other way, either went completely compliant. You know, I, I did, I did a show on, on uh, uh, the, the, the flip from uh, compliant to resistant, that uh, the resistance is growing uh, and then the compliant is shrinking. Mm-hmm. But uh, for a long time, the compliant were yeah. well in the lead. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So exactly. we, we can deal with that. Or, or So what's, what's on your mind this week? Well, I think, I think for a lot of people, um, and we could get into the science, but the science that I've been diving into this week is really, it, I mean, it is very, very complicated. And if you're not 
in that world of which, you know, like I've said before, I always like to clarify, I'm not a medical doctor by any means. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the things that I'm seeing with what's going on now um, in, in, <clears throat> in the truther world, in the patriot world, with podcasts that are out there, a lot of the topics are talking about ascension and 5D and all the mm. things that we are experiencing and going to experience and the things that are, are our minds and our bodies are going through right now just something, you know, in the atmosphere that is transitioning. And so a lot of people I'm finding are stressed, are fatigued. They've got a lot of symptoms um, of adrenal fatigue. Um, They're just like law, you know, And, and if you go through the list, and I have to be careful the way I say this because there's a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of things out in the world, right? That if you go through the checklist, you can say, oh my gosh, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And you can create yourself into having 10 different thousand things wrong with you, right? Yep. So you kind of have sure. to walk that, that I mean, you, you can, um, mm-hmm. you know, but that being said, there are a lot of people right now where their cortisol levels because of stress with everything in this world, families and jobs and just the way life is right now, are very high, which, you know, is affecting the adrenals. And people are trying to look for ways to not just de-stress in the, more, in the sense of, you know, going to a yoga class or something, but mm-hmm. really trying to combat the fatigue and the sluggishness that they are feeling right now, which can over, you know, if it, if it sustains over a long period of time can affect and does affect the adrenals and the cortisol levels. So that's not something that you you want to get yourself in a funk for a long time because a lot of people have been in a funk since 2020, you know, especially depending on the specific circumstances that you've been in with your, with your family or your jobs or whatever. So right now for me, that's been a big issue is helping people – reset cortisol levels, reset the adrenals, help them get out of the fatigue and the funk. Um, using very basic things or putting them through a cortisol reset reset program, um, addressing the, you know, the adrenals and the fatigue that's more than, well, I've stayed up till 1 o'clock and that's why I'm tired. You know what I mean? So that's been the biggest thing that, that, I, have, that I have seen. And there's some easy things that, that people can do to help combat those things. Hmm. A lot of things come to mind. First of all, you said 5G and ascension. Was that the other word? Because it's, uh, yes. I'm going to get the, the spelling. What, what is ascension? As far as a higher level of thinking, um, I know this is not the show for that, so I, I don't want to get into all that. But the difference sure you can. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This is the yeah. show for everything. <laughs> you know, well, like you're not limited people, by topics. You know, not on my show. Well, you I and I have topics. discussed this, you know, um, people having differences and I don't want to give my own personal opinion, but I think, I think, you know, a lot of people talking about what's going on with the banking and the finances is okay. stressing pe- people out, you know, mm-hmm. people not knowing, um, are we going to be sticking with the fiat dollar? The fiat dollar is losing value. Are we going to another form of, of currency? What, what's going on with, with all that, you know, all of the, the chitter chatter. What is the fact of us, having to be at a higher level of, of thinking um, to move, move us forward 
to where our future life is going here on this planet, you know, because there's so many variables and so many unknowns that I think all of these factors are really weighing on people. Okay. Yeah, um, and that makes sense. Does that make sense? Uh, Well, it makes perfect sense. What I'm saying is that uh, I I know sometimes that folks think just because we have a title, you know, the wellness watch, you're not limited to health, wellness. I mean, because most of of the hours, what makes this show fun is when we don't stick to topic, you know, and we can go anywhere. You know, you you get a couple of bright people together and and wherever our our minds take us is fine with me. So I don't have a boss. I'm not restricted in topic. I don't have to have a, I don't have the, the, the clock, you know, where it's like we get two minutes and then we take a break and then we do weather traffic, you know, I mean, I I could do regular radio. I did it. (laughs) You know, I had uh, my Mm -hmm. original contract was for uh, two hours of commercial radio, you know, news talk and weather. Uh, news, sports, and weather, and uh, one hour of action radio. <laughs> so, of course, the only ones I kept and, and the ones I play are the action radio ones because they were the good ones. So I had two hours of requirement and one hour of fun. Now I get three hours of fun. <laughs> so I can do uh, – so we're pretty open. But the ascension is fascinating. And what, what it comes to is that it's, it's, almost, it's the mind-body connection again. So, in other words, if your mind right. is stressed, your, your body is stressed. And, and so right. 5G – I mean, I don't know how to get around it. I've got a phone. Uh, my phone's three feet away from me at all times. <laughs> you know, it's only next to me. If it's in my pocket, it's either off, I mean, compl- I mean powered down, uh, or it's between, a, you know, I've got a wallet in between it, so at least I have an inch of gap, so it never actually touches me, you know. But that's how I do it. I always use a speakerphone. I never talk. I never put the phone in my head. Um, so that's how I get away from the, the technology. I've always done that. I have Ethernet as opposed to Wi-Fi. Well, my TV's Wi-Fi. But, uh, so it, it, limit it. You know, my modem is as far away as it can be and still function. So those are just little things that I do, you know, to, to make life easier. Um, but the 5, 5G is one thing. But Ascension, the whole idea, uh, I just wrote something down as you were talking, um, trying to answer the unanswerable. And so the unanswerable is what is the currency going to look like? You know, and I find people, the more you stress over things that you can't answer, it's, it's like the, the hamster on the treadmill. Because you're never going to get it. Because all your 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 evidence, your the facts that you pull together, the the the, the pieces of the puzzle you try and fit, you know the variables. You don't know all the variables. You, this is what you just said earlier. So you can't know. I don't right. worry about what the currency is going to go to. I really don't. You know, it's going to be gold. It's going to yeah. be silver. It's going to be paper. It's going to be crypto. Or it's going to be something. But since I I right. know that the world cannot function without a medium of exchange, I will adapt to whatever you know, comes out. So I don't worry about what the currency is going to be. Right. And the biggest reason I can't answer that question. So if I can't answer it, if I can't even speculate on it because I, I don't have enough, you know, to judge it, then I don't worry about it. Whereas COVID, I knew exactly yeah. what the problem was. I had the good sources. I had DDRL in France. I had Dr. Zelenko, you know, who was on the show, you know, fairly early in the whole COVID thing. You know, I had the best people in the world that I could talk to directly and find out exactly what's going on. I also had my own brain of logic and reason. I knew what the government was doing was a total hoax. I knew it was a farce. I knew we had early treatments. So there was no pandemic. And I knew it was going to take about eight to 10 weeks, which is a normal lifestyle life cycle of a virus to go away. We'd have herd immunity and would be done. So I I didn't worry about COVID because I already knew the cure. Now what I did worry about was what the government was doing, but I couldn't stop them. So I only worried about as much as I could contribute. So how much, so mind body connection, Worrying about things that you can't control. Is there an attraction to doing that? Do people find a fascination with, with taking on subjects they know they can't answer because there's no downside other than the stress? Right. What do you think? Right. That's, a, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. 
Feel free to speculate. Give it a shot. See what you think. Yeah. Yeah, that that could that could definitely be. That could definitely be true. Yeah. I think. It's like uh, people gossip. They don't tell good news about other people. They tell bad news about other people. You know, it's like I've got a secret. Don't tell anybody. Tell everybody. Tell everybody. Right. Well. You know, I was thinking about a couple of things that, that, that pop immediately to mind. I, I have an expression I use, uh, raising complaining to an art form. You look at, uh, the, like, the, there's a, a legal conference that's going to go on in Atlanta uh, starting on the 25th. So that'll be Saturday. Are we the 23rd now? Yeah. So what's going to happen is they're going to talk about all kinds of uh, litigation ways to help with COVID. Now, I've already offered the solution to the National Trial Lawyers Association, to every lawyer I've had on the show, including Jeff Childers, who's a great lawyer who was on recently. Uh, we've had Dr. Robert Malone. We've had Dr. Peter McCullough. I told them all that we, Action Radio, we have written. Well, these are actually my two bills. Um, one that gets rid of vaccine product liability and one that gets rid of big tech censorship. They were cured. To the two, probably two of the biggest problems we have right now in, in, in simple bills that are like a page or two long. And yet, that's not national news. And I don't understand it. But I think people would right. rather complain. So, so give me the psychology of this if you can. Why is it more important for people... To, to, it's like talk shows. The whole basis of talk shows is complaining without doing anything. Because if you do anything, then there isn't a need for a talk show. Because, you, you know, so it becomes, it becomes its own self-perpetuating thing where the complaining becomes the goal, not the solution. I think that's what I'm, I'm battling right now. I'm curious what you think. You know, um, I think you got to – I think it is – I think, like you said, when people go on, I think it is better – easier for people to complain and go to the negative and do all that. You talk about talk shows and things like that. I mean, that's the whole mm-hmm. purpose behind them, right? Mm-hmm. That's I mean, why we're not a talk so show. I, yeah. I think people get, get a high off of that. How does that work? Is there a chemical thing that goes on? Is there a hormonal thing? What, you know, how does the, the – like people watch bad news. If any shows that try to show good news, uh, it, they get immediately – the ratings suck and they're off the air. But people watch bad news. They're taking internally into their – they're taking through their eyes and ears. They're taking in bad news. And that apparently is very right. attractive because that's what the news broadcasts to them. So where does that yeah. – you know, I don't know if you've ever studied this. I mean, literally, I'm making this up as we go. Uh, where does that go in the brain? What, where, where's the bad news center? What, what, what uh, benefit, you know, uh, hypothalamus comes to mind? I don't even know what that is, but it sounds impressive. Well, it's, um, <laughs> I, it's to me, yeah, uh-huh. I don't have the answer, but to, to me it seems like negative feeds negative, right? Positive feeds okay. positive. Okay. So, so it's, it's, a vicious, it's a vicious circle, I think. You know, huh. you get, you, it's almost like you can't stop it. But wouldn't it be nice if we changed it and we talked about positive or solutions and couldn't stop talk, talking about those? I think it's so easy to get on to the the negative and the bashing and the this and that train easier because that's just, for some reason, that's what people have been, I don't want to say taught, but. In, in the world as, as you are living, <laughs> they've been conditioned. Yeah. That's a great word, conditioned to, t- to discuss. Yeah. And yet we do just so, the opposite here. You know, we've got the solutions. Uh, people have read the solutions. They approve of the solutions. You know, I'm talking major public national figures. Uh, and yet they don't broadcast them every day and say, hey, we've got the solutions. The media doesn't pick it up and say, look, we've got solutions. You know, the pollsters don't go, what do you think of the solution? And it never gets to Congress, you know, because they're going to face the lobbyists. I know why they don't do it. 
They're paid not to. I mean, I understand that. It's wrong. It's corrupt. But I understand their motivations. I don't understand the other right. folks. I don't understand the news. I don't understand the public figures. I don't understand why, after learning about good legislation um, that no one's ever poked a hole at, they've never said, this is flawed, you can't do this, it doesn't work, not legal. No one's ever said that. And I've had doctors, lawyers, national figures look at our legislation, and no one has ever said to me, this is wrong. This, you know, they might say it won't pass. I hear that all the time. But they've never said what you've written is wrong. That can't work. It's not legal. No one's ever said that. Right. Right. Hmm. Interesting, right? Yeah, that's what I think. Well, is, like I said, is, I think yeah. uh-huh. it's like the more you feed the, the, the cliche statement is the more you feed the fear, the more the fear is fed. That makes sense. Well, it goes to what you're saying. Let's, talk, let's relate it to what you start with, uh, cortisol uh, and adrenal fatigue. If bad news triggers your adrenaline, you know, fight or flight, you're going to yeah. – I think this, it's something called adrenaline exhaustion, I'm sure. I, mean, I, just, I made that term up. But in other words, you can only jumpstart so many times and it starts to lose effect. Right. So how many times, how many times can you jumpstart your adrenal glands to get the fight or flight, to get your, your, your emotions and your juices going – um, before you burn out, and is news a part of that? Yeah. And is bad. So, so the bad news is like the addiction; it feeds the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands pump out adrenaline. Adrenaline eventually exhausts you because you can only fight or flight so many times, and yet you're still addicted to the news, and you repeat the cycle. Does that right. make sense? Right. It does okay. totally. Okay. Totally, and 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 that's the whole big that's the whole big big part of it, you know. But that's why I think people really need to be addressing it these days because a lot of people need to step back and do a reset because these past three years and even, you know, continuing right now, it's just been, that's all it's been is, is an overload of negative stuff, you know? And so, so many people are suffering with this right now and you can change that, you know, there are things that you can do to reset your adrenals, to reset your cortisol, to do all those things, you know, because many people didn't have maybe those challenges four, four years ago. Or, you know, every, I mean, we're talking beyond fatigue. Everybody gets exhausted, right? You have a busy day oh, and sure. you're just exhausted. We're oh, not, I understand we're not that. talking about that. You know, we're not talking about that kind of exhaustion. We're not right. talking about that kind of stuff. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's ten times that, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's, that's where I think, unfortunately, there are more people than not now that maybe weren't challenged with that back in 2018 that are now finding that to be a challenge. That makes sense. You know, it's interesting what you're talking about here because if you're challenged um, by mental inputs, you can be physically exhausted from mental inputs having accomplished absolutely nothing. You know, when you talk about an exhausting day, you know, say you work in your yard. You know, you spend all day in the, in the garden and you make this beautiful garden. You've got something to show for your exhaustion. Or if you're in your office and you create this fabulous document or new proposal or idea or you conduct an amazing meeting, you've accomplished something. It's, it's good to be exhausted from all that. But if you just sit around and watch the news where, where you can't change it, all you can do is take it in, you can complain about it, but you, the effect you have on it is negligible or, or you know, there's no effect that you have on the events themselves, yet you're still exhausted. It's like empty exhaustion. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Totally. Hmm. Totally makes sense. Totally makes okay. sense. So, huh. you know, and, and there's a lot of things that, that people can do 
to mm-hmm. attempt to start to, uh, you know, address that. Cutting out certain things, taking an adrenal cocktail that you can make at home, doing a, a total reset. I mean, people can we'll get that. themselves back on, you know, back on track. Uh-huh. So tell me what you can about, about resetting. How would you, is it diet, exercise, the usual sleep? How do you, how do you reset? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the, it's all the above, but okay. the main thing is, is like I said, there are certain things that you want to put into your body mm-hmm. that will help improve your hydration and get your hormones back into balance with, with minerals. Cause a lot of times when you have adrenal or cortisol challenges, um, You've got some mineral depletion as well. So huh. there's there's some things that you can do with salt, you know, that helps reset your cortisol levels. There's some things that you can do with a specific cocktail that's called the adrenal cocktail that you can make at home. And you actually, like, there's, like, for three days, you would just do fruit and a, and a cortisol or adrenal cocktail. You cut things out. You change your sleeping pattern. Um, if you have the ability to do so, you can do an adrenal and fatigue assessment assessment test. Um, mm-hmm. But just using, you know, pink Himalayan sea salt and water and mixing that and working working it up to a specific concoction and using that a day, that's going to definitely definitely help when you repeat that throughout throughout the day. So, is that like full of minerals? I'm guessing. Well, Mm-hmm. Being salt, yeah. Because salt is mined. Unless you, unless you have these big evaporating pools, they used to, they used to make salt. Uh, I think it was the Leslie Salt Company in San Francisco. And at the end of San Francisco Bay, they have these huge pools where they let the water evaporate and they collect the salt, you know, from the salt water. But that's not right. the same thing as right. uh, as a salt mine, which actually is underground salt full of minerals from like underground seas from way back when. Yeah. Well, the basic point of the pink Himalayan sea salt water. Is uh-huh. to improve hydration and and it and it hydrates without diluting your body of 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 the essential nutrients and minerals that your body is needing. You know. Hmm. Okay. Now I know you have to tailor this to the individual person, so you know you know we're not going to yeah. be doing prescriptions on the air here. If you want to do that, contact exactly. DJ directly. <laughs> you know, so that's that's how it works. Exactly. But as far as you as far as general terms, you can talk about, and you can always tell you know me especially say Greg, <laughs> you know, but you, we don't want people making up their own cures here. <laughs> So, uh, exactly. so you know, talk to you first before doing it. But in general, uh, it's good for people people to know that this exists. I mean, why would you get a treatment for something you don't know uh, if that treatment exists? So this is this is why I think the service that we do, rather than prescribe for an individual, uh, give a general outlook, and you go, oh, I mean, I can reset it, you know. But let me ask you this: is is the adrenal is adrenaline itself addictive? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, think about. This is, okay. this is an interesting um, this is an interesting analogy, but think about it. Why are people addicted to like roller coasters? You like that adrenal rush? Yeah, I don't like them. I'd rather be, see. I'm a control freak, so I fly the airplane upside down. I don't like a mechanical device spinning me upside down. Although I have done it. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. No, I hear you. I don't like it either. But you know, <laughs> a, 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 adrenaline rush. Uh-huh. You know, it's right. it's a, it's adrenaline. You have you know your adrenal. You know, it's just. It, it 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 all kind of correlates, you know, together, and it's that flight or flight or fight, you know, mo- mode. But you know, right now, that is really what I'm seeing. I mean, um, oh. and I have a lot of people should be keeping journals of how they're feeling 
you know, when they're doing cer- certain things to help reset their bodies. That way you know, because if you're just doing it, you really don't know if you're seeing any sort of benefits or anything like that. But, hmm. you know, right now for me, that's the biggest thing because people are losing sleep. People are exhausted. People don't know what to do. So, therefore, they're going to the incorrect foods, right? They're going to the sugars, the, the carbs, the things that maybe aren't nutrient-dense that aren't servicing their body very, very well. And it's a palate uh-huh. thing. You know, once you, once you start, you know, some people, once you start eating a bag of chips, right, there's chemicals and stuff in there unless you literally have potatoes and avocado oil, which there's, like, only two brands out there that I'm aware of. You know, but... <laughs> When you do these things, there's things in different foods that you become, quote, unquote, addicted to that feed, you know, that, that feed that dopamine, feeds, and it all correlates together. I know we were talking about cortisol and adrenals, but okay. the stress, the lack of sleep, all these things, it's so science-based, they all intertwine. So it's almost like you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Oh, I don't mind doing that, but let's, let's talk about both. So cortisol and adrenal versus, uh, well, <laughs> the other thing that you said, um, what was the other one? Um, cortisol and you know, like, adrenal. Oh, you were talking about carbs and sugar and stuff like that. So. Uh, oh, I was saying like like when people have the signs of adrenal and cortisol fatigue, like it's a, you know stress and not sleeping well, and you know when you're stressed out. Oh, I feel out, like replacing with the other ones. Re- they reach right. for certain foods, you know, that are the comfort things that aren't really serving okay. your body well. Huh. Is there a connection between sugar and adrenaline? I think so. Okay. Do tell. Yes. 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 Well, think about what sugar does to your body. What, I mean, what is sugar? It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like caffeine, right? I mean, well, it's a stimulant, I guess. Caffeine and sugar, you get that temporary high or that temporary kick of energy, and then you crash. Right. Right? I wonder what so, to do with the show, because say, I have a, just to just bring this to a personal level, I have a, a, like a, a big mug of tea, which is like the equivalent of two regular cups of tea with honey. Uh, so there's my sugar source. Uh, and some half and half. So there's, I guess, my carb. <laughs> you know. Um, and after the show... And I don't know whether it's uh, just because I put so much emotion and energy into the show, but about an hour after the show, I, I like, you know, crash, <laughs> literally, and, and like fall asleep for, for a while. Fortunately, I'm in a, I have a schedule where I can do that. But if I had to go work a full job immediately after the show, I'd be a wreck. <laughs> I would be an absolute wreck by, you know, uh, we'll say I start this, I start work at four, so my eight-hour day would end at noon. <laughs> well, actually, that's pretty much when I do crash. So basically, I work an eight-hour day. You know, take a nap and then work another eight-hour day. You know, over the course of uh, my day. Um, but do you, is it is it the sugar from the honey? Is it the emotions of doing the show? Is it both? Do I get an adrenaline rush from doing this? I, I, I guess I do. I mean, I didn't think about it. It is kind of a rush being on radio. But uh, is that all connected? What do you think? It is because your adrenal huh. glands play play a play a role in the balancing of your blood sugar regulation. So, you know, and it goes back to the statement of it depends on what type of sugar. It depends on what type of carbs. You know, carbs from eating broccoli is different than carbs from eating a white piece of bread. Um, Sugar from honey or sugar from an apple is different than getting sugar or splendia or stevia or all the things. It's still all sugar, 
but it's different mm-hmm. types of sugar. You've got natural sugars, you've got refined sugars. I mean, you even have a little bit of sugar in vegetables, in broccoli, and things things mm-hmm. like that. So, right. um, you know, having low blood sugar is dangerous, and having high blood sugar is dangerous. So, you know. Well, what, what are the different things? It, I, I believe the terms, if I remember right, hypoglycemic and hyperglycemic, which people probably use interchangeably, not knowing they're opposites. Yeah, so, yeah. But I want to go back to the question that you had asked before, because you're... Sure. <clears throat> When you have low blood sugar, you get the weakness, you get the dizzy, you get the things, and okay. all that sort of thing. And that's an emergency where the adrenals come in. Your adrenals produce epinephrine, norepinephrine, and the, eventually cortisol, which saves, <laughs> saves the day. You know, so cortisol and the adrenals, I mean, all these big words that I just said, they all play a vital role, you know, together. And the adrenal mm-hmm. glands help to regulate the blood sugar. But when okay. you have adrenal and cortisol challenges, which come from exhaustion, stress, anxiety, too much caffeine, feeding your body, that sort of thing. And if you're mm-hmm. one of the people that that you can't get up in the morning, like not just that you're tired, but if you have really bad time getting up in the morning, you know, there are different signs of adrenal fatigue, hmm. you know? No, that's and not so a problem. Those, yeah, I'm up those, at four, those, <laughs> which is... Kind of crazy, but, I, you know, I do it. Yeah. Yeah. So all these factors play in. So many people have difficulty getting getting up in the morning. They have high levels of fatigue every day. I mean, not just, you know, oh, I'm tired because I ran a marathon. Not that, you know, the inability to handle stress well. Um, mm. And then one of the big things is craving for salty foods. Um, huh. And then getting and getting high levels of energy in the, in the evening. And then overusing stimulants, which we just talked about, which is sugar and caffeine, to right. kind of pick you up. You know, no, I'm already wide awake. Okay, so let's, let's analyze Pardon that me? Because I said, by the time I, I get to my tea and honey and, and half and half, I'm already wide awake. I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't right. do this to wake up. I just, you know, like a warm cup. Of, of something, it could be hot chocolate, but that'd be too much sugar. But the point is, it's nice to have a cup of hot something. And this seems to be the best, because I know right. the tea is good for me. Uh, the honey's not that bad. Uh, half and half, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not perfect. You know, you know, but uh, um, I've heard that the, the fact that drinking a warm drink in the morning is really beneficial, and whether it's coffee or whether it's tea or hot chocolate or even hot water or something, but a warm drink uh, actually helps you. I do mm-hmm. it anyway because I like the taste, but um, but I mean, there's not that right, much. And I like not, that too. But when you're yeah. resetting the adrenals, you can do, yeah, you, can't do you know that. the warm warm right. salt water with pink Himalayan okay. sea salt. But but, oh. but my point is in this: I don't want people taking away from the show. Oh my gosh, everybody has adrenal fatigue and cortisol problems. You know, I would say eight out of ten people do have some sort mm-hmm. of a challenge because, like I said, you can read through any signs or symptoms and say, oh, crap, I have this, I have this, I yeah, have exactly. this. And, you know, just being exhausted is just being exhausted. There are a lot more things that go into into this. You know, it's like the majority. If you're 80% of the time have symptoms like this, you probably have a cortisol and adrenal challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, then you probably don't. But you know, everybody has something to a cer- certain extent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So unless unless you do the testing or you decide, hey, I'm just going to do an adrenal reset 
what's involved in it, you'll see how you feel a difference. Let me talk about something that just came to mind, too. This is, makes a whole lot of sense. For a long time, I've been an advocate of the four-day four work week. Uh, Europe is catching on to it now. Uh, a lot of places, uh, like if you read, uh, I think it was Tom Peters, 100 Best Corporations to Work For, a lot of companies offer the option, if it's possible, uh, usually non-retail, um, to work ten, four 10-hour shifts. You're still working 40 hours a week, but you get three days off as opposed to two days off. Uh, I think the studies are coming out that it's actually making people more productive. Because you have one less commute, <laughs> you know, two or, or two right. fewer commutes, you know, because there and back, uh, you don't you don't have all the prep time of work and then the decompression time after work. You've actually got three days off, so by the third day you're pretty rested. I've done this for years. When I worked as a tour guide, I always worked a four day and then eventually a three day week. I had I had a schedule so good, and these are like uh, twelve hours. So I worked three twelve to thirteen hours, so I'm working about forty hours a week. Uh, by the time it was all said and done, but I worked uh, every other day. I worked like I think Tuesday, Thursday, and no, was it was uh, it was oh Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday was my schedule. It was great because I because however yeah. hard I worked one day, I didn't care because I had the next day off. It was the perfect schedule. Mm-hmm. So I could work twelve, thirteen, fourteen hours one day. You know, as a tour guide, have a blast, make a a, a good amount of money because it was San Francisco, and then the next day sleep in, exercise, cruise, and the next day I could work fourteen hours again. <laughs> you know, so I was on this total recharge. Right. But but uh, four day weeks um, is that one of the ways that people can reset is to try and restructure their work, the actual hours they do. It's a great idea. Okay. Success day. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, honestly, I think it services your body well. I think people, I mean, and and <clears throat> and I'm no exception. You know, people go, 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 and then they play hard just as much as they do whatever they do hard. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, that that would be me. Or you have some people that um, do whatever they do during the work week hard, and then on the weekends they're like, I don't want to do a thing. All I want to do is lay in the bed and watch movies. You know, so mm-hmm. you've got the two opposite ex- ex- extremes. So I think finding mm. a healthy balance is is definitely a good a good thing to do because you don't want to get yourself to the point where you feel like you have to recover. You know what I mean? Like I'll just uh-huh. tell you, um, as you know, like I've been traveling for like two weeks, you know, gone and on the road and this and that and the other thing. And just because I was on the go and getting up earlier and moving and shaking – I, my ass was wiped out when I got home. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, I was just like, I'm going to, like, sleep one whole day and don't anybody talk to me, don't anybody bother me. I don't care what you go and I tell my little girl, I'm like, you just got to take care of yourself today. Don't even talk to me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's actually not so, a bad idea. I mean, um, but but you, my point is you don't want to make a habit of, I mean, these things happen like that. I'm usually on the go. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm not on the go with a with a schedule like that or traveling or whatever. And so I needed that fill-out time. But you don't want to do that to yourself on a weekly basis to where you're running yourself so hard that, you know, come whenever you're not doing what you do during the week, mm-hmm. that you don't have any energy or you don't want to do anything on the weekend. So I think the four-day week of – I don't even like the word work, but the four the four-day productivity week, okay. I think that sounds – you know, I think that sounds amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Well, they're getting productivity increases because that fifth day, 
you know, people don't work much Friday anyway. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the casual Friday. It's the weekend. You know, come lunchtime, they're all exhausted. You know, they come back after a big meal. You know, the two martini lunch in, in some cases, and uh, you know, the, and uh, there's no point. I mean, Friday afternoon is a waste anyway. People leave early. So what's the point of that that fifth right. day? They're going to take it off anyway. So why not have people take it off from Thursday night? In fact, in the Bay Area, I, I noticed that a lot of a lot of companies in the Bay Area do four day weeks. And so what's happening was my Friday tours would be absolutely, um, you know, longer and jammed, especially when we had to go to the Golden Gate Bridge because everybody was leaving work Thursday, especially in the summertime. They're gone. You know, they'd empty out. The Golden Gate Bridge would be taking like half an hour or 45 minutes sometimes just to get to it. And I tell my tourists, I say, look, it's going to take a while. Do you want to go? Yes. Okay, fine. Told you. (laughs) I believe in full disclosure. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, hmm. and you know, there's there's like the easy things that people can can do that mm-hmm. you know taking and they don't sound good to me because I I'm I'm very cold natured, but a three minute cold shower, you know, will will do a lot for your mood and your energy and it'll activate the sympathetic nervous nervous system. Um, so that you know, you many people have seen um, where people take the cold plunges and do those things for a certain amount of time. There really is a science to that. I mean, when I look at that, I cringe because I can't stand cold water. But I <laughs> like most people. I mean, who this can? I mean, I don't, I mean I don't know. But this is the third time I've heard are, this. There are benefits to it. There really are. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, mm-hmm. But there are certain times that you should a- avoid them, which is like after 7 p.m., like a daily cold shower or doing the, the crypto cold plunge is fine during the day um but when you get done doing that you want to put on socks and slippers and you want to put on warm stuff right away after that and it's designed to shock the body to shock the organs and actually um for relaxation believe it or not with the after effect of putting on warm clothing afterwards Okay, now I've heard this is the third person, third time I've heard this. So it started off with Dorothy Diana, who does our sex and sensuality report. And we were talking about testosterone. And she says, well, there's this great new thing. If you put your, uh, you know, testosterone generators, men, uh, in a cold bath or, or freezing cold water, you know, it boosts testosterone. I'm like, this, this, no, I don't believe this. And even if it is true, I don't even know if I want to try it. So we're, we're laughing on, you should listen to Monday. Dorothy and I have some pretty amazing <laughs> conversations. Anyway, so that was the big, big topic of, um, of last Monday was the uh, you know the the, the male gonad freeze. <laughs> I don't. I got to find a nice way to put it. Um, but anyway, but yeah, apparently that's a good thing. And the cold showers. But I heard just the opposite. Uh, I remember watching a heart special years ago. It was maybe twenty, thirty years ago. And they said one of the worst things you can do, and people do it, is to suddenly put cold water after your hot water because it shocks the body. So now I'm getting conflicting right. information. It's like Oprah. Okay, Oprah was the fad, and now it's bad exactly. <laughs> because it's a right. okay. So so where so let's 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 put this to the logic and reason filter. And, and let's analyze this and see see if we can sort of discern where the truth lies. So why uh, would they say that it was for your heart? It was a shock to your system. You shouldn't do it. Um, like the sauna. You know, if you ever did the sauna plunge, plunge. <clears throat> excuse me, where you, you you know you get uh, roasting hot, and then you leap in freezing cold water. Uh, we did that summer camp for some reason. All, all the my, my fellow campers wanted to go in the sauna. I hated it. I did it twice. I said, this is ridiculous. You want me to get all hot and then leap in freezing cold water? Oh, it's good for you. You feel great. I never felt great. <laughs> so I never felt a lot of good. I know. I've done it. <laughs> it makes yeah. me, I can't, I, yeah. I mean, there is a science okay. behind it. 
But but what? I I I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Um, well, what what but, what does the science say? Let's, let's, let's analyze this a little bit because now I'm I'm really curious because like I said, a, a local doctor has it on, all over her Facebook page. You know, take the she she has a, a, a picture of her kid in, in a cooler, you know, freezing cold water. I was like, why are you doing that to your kid? <laughs> so there's got to be something to this, right? What is, what right. are they saying? Well, they're they're saying that, like <laughs> you said, that it activates the sympathetic nervous system, which primes the body to spring into action. And it helps with the beta endorphins and transmitters that help suppress pain. So a sauna plus a cold shower after that, they say, is very restorative. I've never, I've never personally done it, but I have seen <laughs> it constantly. It's becoming more and more prevalent, people doing these dips into really, really cold water now for a short amount of time, obviously. You oh, know? yeah. Um, but still. But why can't you do the dip first and then go in the sauna? I mean, that would make more sense. Get the dip over with first. Get the cold water and then go in the sauna. Don't do it the other way around. <laughs> that seems right. stupid to me. Right, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I okay. Know. It, it, it definitely does shock the body. I mean, but that's the whole point of, you know, the science behind it. So I would have to do more well, into that because, like I said, I'm not – that's not my forte, but there's no, no, some that's of okay. the things uh, – you, you know more do. about it than I do, but speculating is so much fun. Okay, so let's, let's talk about shocking the body. If you look at the body's symptoms, pretty much our entire body is designed to avoid shocks, isn't it? We're warm-blooded yeah. so that we don't have to be like lizards and go lay in a rock or the street to warm up before we can do anything. We've got a moderating quality because we're warm-blooded, okay? We've got an immune system, so we don't, are, we're not shocked by uh, things like the COVID virus or maybe for a few days. Um, we've got uh, regulators, hormones. We've got uh, all kinds of things that maintain body process. We have heartbeat regulators. We have all this different stuff. We have blood pressure. We have, you know, veins, nerves, art, you know, nerves for, for, for response. The whole body is designed um, to be self-protective against shocks. You get an injury, you shut down. If you get a tremendous amount, really, really horrible injury, you, your body doesn't, you know, you don't feel the pain. You feel pain when you scrape right. yourself with a paper cut. That hurts, right? But uh, I remember, right. you know, breaking my ankle in two places. Uh, it hurt, but it, uh, proportional to the amount of injury I'd done to myself, uh, my foot got caught in a gopher hole when I was hand gliding. It's a long story. Um, oh. Everything went, oh. everything went oh. forward except oh. my ankle. Oh, yeah, it was bad. So I had my right ankle is larger than my left and always will be. I had two spiral fractures. Yeah, real bad. Anyway, okay. um, but the point was <laughs> I still drove 150 miles home. Uh, in a stick shift, you know, picking up my leg and moving it um, so I could work the car because I had to get my kid home. Uh, she was fine, by the way. <laughs> she didn't get injured like I did. Um, but the point was that uh, it was a very severe injury, and I did, but the pain was not, I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't crippling compared to some other things that, that, uh, that were. So the body's kind of weird. The body's designed to avoid shock. So to me, this is counterintuitive. That's why I'm going into it in such detail, trying to reason this out. Why is it that's, that the body is developed to avoid shock that somehow shock is good for it? That, to me, seems um, opposite. Right. CJ? Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks a okay. lot. Thanks a lot. I, well, you no. Know... I mean, like I say, I, I don't expect right answers. You don't have to have the, the answer. I'm, I'm much more interested in the process of reasoning it through. Let's see if we can make sense yeah. of this. That's that's what's important. We got a thinking audience. They're used to this. Trust me, they're used to me. Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening still. <laughs> you know. 
So uh, feel free to speculate. Well, you know, I think it's something that I personally would love to experience to give my own opinion on it. Okay. Well, let me know. You know, I mean, I, it's one of those things I'd like to be like, okay, I'm going to try this. As much as, like, the thought of it, just, um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Because, like I said, I see it all the time. And I'm like, why would somebody do this? The only yeah. benefit I yeah the only benefit I saw uh, from a sauna is that your pores open up and any any it's like a it's like a skin cleanse you wouldn't believe yeah. so everything so yeah. all the all the dirt and stuff that's on you the the hidden the, like the micro dirt particles they all come out and then Correct. the plunge is like a like a bath or a shower so so it's a great cleaning um, but as far right. as feeling better I never felt better I felt cold I felt hot then I felt cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. then, and then right, I felt right, then right, I moderated, right. oh, exactly. but I, I I don't I don't perceive any health benefits from that other than being a little cleaner, which for a summer camp kid is pretty you know is always a good thing because <laughs> we're always grimy right. and dirty anyway. Right. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's okay. almost like you know diving into the health benefits of infrared saunas. You know, Oops, uh, the that. infrared. I have no idea what that versus, is. Versus versus the crypto. Um, Maybe it is called the crypto plunge, you know, the ice plunges. So you've got you've got the benefits of the cold and you've got the benefits of, of the heat. You know, and okay. they're they're they to, they totally do different things and I personally, like I said, have not done either one. I think I would be more apt to um and I have a couple of friends who actually have infrared saunas at home. Mm-hmm. Um and I would I would um that would be something that I would be, I think, more apt to try um, than setting hmm. myself in the cold. <laughs> well, what, is an inf- what is an infrared supposed to do? So, so as I understand it, uh, for those who know the, the visible light spectrum, infrared is, is not visible because it's too low a frequency. Ultraviolet is not visible because it's too high a frequency. So that's why your, your right. basic rainbow you know, before it's taken over by LGBTQ, you know, red, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. Okay, so red is the lowest light frequency that's visible. Uh, violet is the highest light frequency that's visible. So infrared would be a very low frequency light. Now we know the high frequency lights well, burn you. <laughs> you know, right? So, right. so if, right. if the high frequency lights burn you, the, what does the low frequency light do? Well, if you think about this, a regular sauna mm-hmm. is uses heat to warm air, right? When you walk into a sauna at a gym or at a YMCA or wherever you are, right? Which turns right. which which turn warm which which in turn warm it warms your body, right? When you go in there and there's the steam and stuff. Well an infrared mm-hmm. sauna heats your body directly without mm. warming the air around you. And that's a good thing why? It's a whole <laughs> other science science product. It, they, they, they have um, treatments for long-lasting health problems most of the time is what infrared sauna is like. They helped with high blood pressure, heart failure, dementia, all these different things are some of the things that it helps. Um, but so those are some of the clear, clear benefits. An infrared, an infrared sauna gives results at, like you said, at a lower temperature than does a regular sauna. So this makes the infrared saunas better choices for people who can't stand the heat of a regular sauna. Okay. 
All right, I can see that. I was thinking it's not that it was a lower temperature, that infrared is a lower light frequency. Right. You know, it's the, the, the no. wave and the particle of light, which I, apparently they're both, as I'm finding out and learning yeah. in the quantum physics yeah. here. Um, so is that, so, so yeah, no go ahead. harmful effect, you know, okay. for anything like that. But a lot of them, more of the infrared saunas uh-huh. are, are used for health challenges. So people like saunas, saunas, regular saunas, because they, uh-huh. they, they're, they're more apt to do that, like, after moderate exercise. You know, um, mm-hmm. they like to do the vigorous sweating and increase the heart rate. And infrared sauna gives these results, but at lower temperatures. So hmm. it's the basically the temperature and the way one heats your body up and one heats the air up, and the other one doesn't have the heated air around you, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. It makes perfect sense. I also know infrared, they use it for, for uh, heat measurement. <laughs> like infrared scanners that can detect body heat through walls now. So are there medicinal applications to infrared? Yes. Okay. Diagnostics, anything like yes. that? Okay. I I huh. have seen them used like that, but again, since I'm not in that arena, I don't I don't know. I just know that they are used in a lot of different treatments for different hmm. conditions like I had read. Okay. Yeah, so that's a big difference. So I think for me, I'd be more apt to do something like that just because it's warm versus <laughs> jumping in the cold. But I, but I know <clears throat> the cold plunges do have a benefit. You know, I mm-hmm. really do because I've seen it. Um, hmm. So I don't know. What have you seen? What, what, give me a before and I after story. I take the plunges into the into the. I do those uh, the cold tubs and bath for like six minutes. You know, oh. in this. Uh, I have seen it on video um, from uh-huh. friends of mine who have done it, the uh-huh. crypto cold, or, the, or they stand up in the big tubes, which they go in, and it's really, really cold for a certain amount of time. Um, and they do fine. Now, like I said, I don't know how long it is or if you work up to a certain amount of time, which I'm sure you do, but um, I don't know. That's just something that I would really have to see. How is this going to benefit me if I put myself through this? <laughs> Makes sense. Well, there's also the placebo effect. If everybody tells you that eating 10 marshmallows a day is good for you, you know, people are going to eat, there are a certain amount of people who are going to eat 10 marshmallows a day and feel better, even as their their weight grows and their teeth fall out and things like that. But uh, how much of this is placebo effect? You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think... Okay. I've seen too many things that think it's placebo. I don't. I don't believe it's placebo. Okay. I'm well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just checking that. the possibilities. You know, it's like uh, oat bran is one of my favorite examples. Everybody said we got to eat oat bran. Go out there and eat oat bran. Now we're finding out that the carbs are bad. <laughs> you know, so people said I feel better because I'm eating oat bran, and now people are saying I feel better because I don't eat oat bran. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and probably some right. of them are the same people. So, so how much? Uh, you know, so the, this is where the, the mind body connect. I don't know how you test for that. I don't know how you examine that. I guess that's what double blind studies are all about. So that nobody, so the double blind means that neither the person giving the test nor the person getting it knows which sample they're, they're getting, right? It's double blind. Right. Is, that, is that, that, okay, right. That makes sense. Okay. Is there, yeah. huh? So as people are getting there, so, so what happens? So what is cortisol as opposed to adrenaline? What are those two different things? How, well, they, they, they work hand in hand. Okay. 
uh, with a lot of things with a lot of things that they actually do for the for the body. But people, you know, when you have high cortisol, mm-hmm. lots of times people hold on to more 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 fat and more stress. Cortisol it's it's, it's a hormone, so that is correlated with it's a steroid hormone that your adrenal gland and your endocrine glands are all mixed together and they're all apart on top of your, they lay on top of your kidneys. So the cortisol affects many aspects of your body, but it regularly regulates your body's response to stress. So that's why I say it's hard to talk about one without the, without the other. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So Does cortisol, cortisol come from the adrenal glands your, also? Does cortisol come so from the adrenal glands? Where does that come from? It's a specific hormone that your adrenal glands produce and release. So they work conjunctively together. Oh. And everything is a, is a chemical, everything is a chemical process and a chemical uh-huh. function together. So that's why through your blood and your organs and your skin and your muscle and other t- tissues, your, your body will give you signs to tell you whether your cortisol, i.e. your adrenal glands are, are off. So it's a type of steroid huh. hormone. Right. Do they work together in terms of adrenaline picks you up and cortisol slows you down? Or do they are they given by your body in different amounts to to either jumpstart you or hold you back or calm you down again? Cortisol does, yes, yes, they all, yes, they work hand in hand together. So basically, okay. what they do, they suppress inflammation in all of all of your body body tissues. Huh. Um, it works. It works in controlling your metabolism your muscles, your fat, your liver, your bones. It also affects, like I said, sleep and wake cycles. That's why we were talking about the adrenal fatigue with a right. lot with, with sleep. So, hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're, so they, and they're, they're very, they're very small. They're triangle shaped. And they, like I said, they, they're located at the top of your kidneys. So all of the cortisol, the, um, steroid hormones that are in the adrenal glands are all a part of your endocrine system. And that's cortisol, your hormone system. That's your hormone system, right? Yeah. Cortisol is a okay. hormone that affects everything in your body. It regulates your stress, regulates your fats, your metabolism, oh. your inflammation, blood pressure, blood sugar. I mean, okay. your sleeping and waking cycle. That's why we kind of talked about the whole sugar and the refining and the sleep and wake and the caffeine levels. I mean, it's all together. So cortisol is always in your body and adrenaline comes in during certain times in your body? Is that too general or is that about right? Uh, that is not correct. They work, they're, they're intertwined. They are always there. It just depends on the level of which they are, they are at. So it makes sense for the body then to have two hormones when it could have had one. <laughs> you know, in other words, it's not one hormone right. that does it. You need both, because they, cause, which goes back to my my question earlier. Does adrenaline, you know, kind of jumpstart you for for a crisis, and and cortisol well, kind of calms you down after it? Or... Well, your adrenal glands, your adrenal glands produce and release cortisol, which is a hormone. So right. and what's that hormones... do? What's it do though? The, the cortisol? Uh-huh. The, 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 hor- the hormones, which is the cortisol, they're chemicals. They coordinate different functions in your body. So the body 
carries the message through your blood to your organs, your skin, your muscles, and your tissues. And it tells your body what to do and when to do it. Oh, so it's not as simple as one jump starts you and the other slows you down. The cortisol is necessary for bodily functions. But is the adrenaline also just as necessary, but it does different things? Yes. Okay. And you got to remember, the, the adrenal gland is like a gland. The cortisol is a hormone that your adrenal glands produce and no, release. No, I get that. So, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to isolate their function in my mind. I know this is technical, and I know people are saying, well, what are you talking about, Greg? Well, because once you get the basics, once you get the tools, then you can go on to the more advanced concept. That's why I take the time um, to go over these, these, these basic things. Okay, so in the, in the 17 seconds, well, we'll go a couple minutes over time. Um, so what's the best course of action for people? Should they find out? Um, their cortisol adrenaline balance should they you know are there nutrition things they can do you know we know the exercise sleep but I'm always big on nutrition you know what's, what are, what are yeah. moderating foods that help with this what's, what's, what are the basics we can do yeah well um, again watch your sugar and your caffeine in, intake you know because that affects the cortisol levels in your, in your body so instead of mm-hmm. getting to the adrenal fatigue which we listed the symptoms so the symptoms are kind of, kind of, the opposite of get enough sleep. Don't, don't, you know, get in all the sugars and all the caffeines and things like that. And I always encourage people to get tested um, to see where your cortisol and adrenal levels are, mm-hmm. especially for such a time as this, because it's going to be easier to uh, to address. And like I said, if anybody wants the the cocktail, they can you know, to me or, or whatever, but there are things that you can do to rebalance your cortisol level. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and because you got to remember this, all of this is a part of your endocrine system. You know, when we're talking about the adrenal glands and then the hormone, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the cortisol, um, and the cortisol is a specific steroid, you know, hormone. So these are the things that you definitely want to address. So is there a overall guidance for taking care of your endocrine system, or is it not that simple? Or is it the same old it's things we all talk about? Diet, exercise, and nutrition, which is pretty much what everything comes down yeah. to. Right. Well, of course, right. diet and nutrition right. are like the same things. Okay. Huh. All right. Mm-hmm. This has been interesting. We've covered a lot of ground, speculated a lot of areas, you know, delved into all kinds of stuff that I'm sure you never expected, <laughs> because certainly I didn't either. Right. Um, but that's what, yeah. that's what makes our chat so much fun. Okay. Well, let's get your contact information so if people want more information, they can get you directly, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Of course. Yeah. If anybody wants any information, they can email me at h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. That's h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. That sounds good. That's easy. All right. So, any spec any speculations for the for the week's events? You know, either uh, uh, currency trading or uh, you know Trump going to Waco. Is he going to talk about Waco thirty years ago? Or uh, you know, I think the arrest is pretty much off. Any any current event speculation? Now that I have you, you don't have to. I'm just curious. I we probably shouldn't do that after calming people down. <laughs> I. I, I, I don't, number one, I don't think there's going to be a, an arrest. I think it's all a witch hunt. Number two is, I don't know what's going to be said or not said. What I do know is there has got to be, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's got to be some sort of a catalyst, an event, a thing, something that is going to occur before April to flip the switch on something. 
because we can't keep going on indefinitely the way we are. I don't know what that happen list is going to be, but there's got to be something that's going to flip the switch one way or the other. So like total freedom versus total control or, or what are you, what are you yeah. talking about? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know where I that's, stand. That to change a bunch of, because we have too much going on with the banking. We have too much going on with all the sagas. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that might happen. I would just, from that point, I would encourage people to stay focused on what the real challenges are because they're always wanting to throw a distraction out. So don't be distracted by the whole Trump charade or anything else that they may throw out there to get you to look somewhere else. Just stay where you need to be focused on. Makes sense. I, mean, I try and do that. Like I say, we're not in a compl- we don't raise complaint to an art form here. We actually have real solutions. Um, more and more all the time, actually. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> but we'll see. We'll see if the, the bad news adrenaline folks will... Uh, you know, not uh, take up the solutions. They'll just, you know, spend their time complaining and, and getting all stressed out. Okay. CJ, thank you. Yeah. Let's do it again next week. You're very very interesting. All right. Sounds yeah. good. Have a blessed week. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Wow. <laughs> this is an interesting day. Um, <clears throat> I'd really enjoyed going over those uh, COVID articles um, just because, you know, the information was there. Well, I didn't really so much enjoy it as I, I thought it was necessary. It's probably a better way to put it. Um, but uh, it is critical. It is critical to understand that the information was there. Uh, all I had to do was look for it. And uh, I don't know. I mean, these articles are still, I'm still able to pull them up, which means they still exist. You know, I know that the powers that be probably think they, they got all the important stuff and scrubbed it all. But it's, I just had six articles today. I could do another I have about 50 of these. <laughs> so, you know, see maybe Monday I'll, I'll, I'll bring them up again. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Tomorrow I might be speculating on Waco and uh, talking about more of the uh, uh, the government uh, massacre there, the Bill Clinton massacre at Waco. We'll see. But uh, on the other side, don't get stressed out. You know, I mean, we talk about tough situations and we talk about things, but I think offering a solution, um, this may be a stress reliever. And I probably should have meant that with CJ, that you can relieve your stress by taking action. That's what I do. You know, I have very little stress because I take action and I know that I'm taking the right action and I know that it's going to work. And I just have to convince a lot more people of that. Um, And so they will take the same action because it's going to take group action to to solve our problems. You know, legislation does not exist because one person, you know, not necessarily me, of course, but but that one person wrote it. It takes, uh, you know, it takes reporting. It takes polling. It takes uh, media attention. Uh, it takes talk shows. It takes getting into Congress. And then it takes debate and influence and lobbying and, uh, you know, talk about elections and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Bring, the, bring in the vote. Say, if you want my vote, you know, here's what I want you to do kind of thing. So uh, there's a lot to it, but we shall see. Um, this is a very exciting time. And so uh, I just hope to, uh, you know, change it to a very free uh, time, a, very, a time of great liberty um, as rapidly as possible. And with your help, I can do that. So, uh, and it's not just me. You know, we can all do it. All right. Greg Penglis here for Action Radio, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My interview with Quint Studer uh, took place at WEBY, a previous station that no longer is uh, Northwest Florida's news and talk leader. So anything you heard on the interview regarding phone numbers and, and station ident, that's it's, it's not there. Uh, it's like a sports channel or something now. Uh, our uh, contribution site, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And uh, again, our legislative site, rightsyourloss.com. I think I've given everything. I think so anyway. Huh. Anyway, if not, there's always tomorrow. But um, do what you can. Uh, and uh, you know, if you think it's time to act, then act. You know, if you want to change something, change something. 
you know, if you want change, you have to make change. I mean, that's just how it works. All right, play a couple more things for you, and I'll be back tomorrow, 7 a.m. for our Friday show, 7 a.m. Central Time, and we shall definitely talk then. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, 
to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.